Hey there, Samwise Gamgee. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Steven. Steven. Wow, what's with the Samwise name? So, I was going to try and do the uh, inspiring monologue he gives at the end of Two Towers, but I couldn't capture the emotion of it if I tried, so I'll just remind you that it exists. That's the one where he basically talks about how the stories that meant something when they were kids were the ones where the the folk in those stories had lots of turn- chances to turn around, only they didn't. They kept going because because they were holding on to something. And then Frodo says, and what are we holding on to? Because he's all emo at this point. Yeah. And he says that there's good left in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Nice. Yeah. I do remember that. This is not at all a diss on Grack, who I totally support staying behind. Right. Well, you know, he was going to die if he didn't, right? Right. Yeah, no, he's, he made the right call. This is different. Like, dropping off when it's sensible is different than dropping off when you're scared. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was pretty awesome. And you know what else is pretty awesome? This podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, which is only awesome by association to the book that we're talking about, Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle. Buy it at uh, Amazon and various other booksellers. We have a link in our show notes. There's also an audio version at Audible. Uh, and you can support Alexander Wales directly at his Patreon, which we link in our show notes. And you can also support us directly at our Patreon, which we also link in the show notes. Anyways, we do kick back 15% to uh, Alexander Wales as well. So thank you, everybody who does that. We appreciate it. And Stephen, you know what's nice? This is episode 69. Hell yeah, it is. Nice. We have some things from the audience before we get into the main part of the show. Uh, This first one is from Do The Math, and it's regarding that uh, my shock, I guess, and horror at Amaryllis killing uh, all her well, not all our clones, killing the two clones and force merging them when they didn't want to do that. Uh, do the math says the correct position is that it is unsurprising that Amy will ruthlessly murder anyone who reduces the probability <laughs> of hell being destroyed by even a trillionth of a percent. And this is a good thing. So you are right to trust her. But don't be surprised when she does the right thing. And now that I think about it, it would be pretty unfair and suspicious for Amy to be willing to kill innocents, but not herself, for small increases in the probability of the destruction of the hells. I think this is a very good point, actually. Uh, the one the one thing that makes me feel so weird about it is that all she gets from these clones is labor. And I mean, I guess it's irreplaceable labor because it's Amaryllis is doing the labor and no one can do the stuff she can do but her. And also, like, she gets knowledge merged into her. But it's still, it doesn't feel like it's quite a good enough reason to kill someone. And I'm not sure it actually increases the probability of hell being destroyed really maybe maybe it does it just it really feels weird to me to enslave somebody for a good cause and uh i don't know i guess i should just get over that because maybe i'm turning into a normie by being all like my my deontology or whatever the hell you know i i've been thinking about this a little more and more in the last while that like i mean yes if you're a universe controlling robot that is the correct ethics to have but like for us muggles running around i don't think we need to be sitting there pretending like oh yeah the right thing to do is to kill five people to save one you know or right vice versa um depending on which five and which one no uh you know what i mean (laughs) um like we're not we're not running around making these big decisions or having to kill people so like yes in our fiction with amaryllis sure it makes sense but i'm not i'm not giving do the math a hard time i'm just i've been thinking about the way people talk about ethics, and I feel like a lot of it is very highfalutin for what most of us do almost all the time. But yeah. uh, anyway, that aside, 
the other the, the fun implication of this is that if she can talk herself into believing that anything has a trillionth of a percent chance of destroying hell one day earlier then she's justified in doing it and that includes you know not paying for meals that includes harvesting every child you walk past for their bones and organs to sell them to hire more people you know like all this crazy shit right i think we talked about this much earlier on too and how that's probably a bad idea Probably a bad Although, idea. It's, very sli- also, it's a very slippery slope. It is. But also, at this case, they are living in the last days and, like, all of Arab is about to be destroyed. Like, all of a sudden, doing terrible things for a tiny fraction of a chance doesn't have all that much negative, uh, negative implications for the near future because either they fail and then whatever she did doesn't matter anyway, or they succeed and then whatever she did doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> Yes, at this juncture, stuff is like that, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, she, she may have been operating this ruthlessly for the last three years or for like 90 years in the Cypress timeline. And that I do kind of wonder about, like, you know, I don't know if you're if you're living your best life here, but I'm not going mean, to give her a hard time. She's got a lot a, going on. <laughs> yeah, for, for a human, I'm kind of more worried about the long lasting damage to the person and when they do these sorts of things and whether I can, I guess I was about to say whether I can trust them in the future because of how they are changed by their own actions. But again, there either is no future or there is the perfect future. So it doesn't matter. Hmm. It's a, it's a conundrum to be sure. I mean, I'm I'm not sure it is. I think maybe do the math is right. And you know, she's doing the right thing and I shouldn't be surprised when she does the right thing. Uh, Again, I think right in this particular convoluted situation. Yeah. I mean, I was on board with it anyway, so I don't know what I'm arguing about. Good point, do the math. All right, GadBB <laughs> yeah, okay. on the Reddit, on the Discord, said, Listen to the podcast discussion of the meaningless dilemma rooms. My take is that, that the dilemma isn't, what will you do with ambiguous slavers? The dilemma is actually, to what extent will you assign meaning to a world that fades away with nothing when you leave it? That's awesome, and I love it. That is actually pretty much perfect, and I think that is correct. And in that case, it's actually sort of an interesting dilemma, but... I still think it was it was the correct answer to be like, I don't give a fuck because it's going to fade away in a minute. I kind of think maybe it was. But that also leads us to, you know, it's OK to uh, to do the Nazi experiments if you're in the Cyprus timeline, because, you know, it's going to fade away to nothing when when this timeline's done. Yeah. I mean, the other wrinkle in this is that they've got to include in their mental arithmetic of like, what does the DM want me to do? Like, what what will he find fun? Yeah. I think if I remember, I'd like uh, Morden Mail's take on this, that uh, the more time that passes, the more the thing actually matters. Like, if you punch me in the nose and it hurts for one second before it reset, then that doesn't matter nearly as much as if you punch me in the nose and it hurts for three years before there's a reset. So maybe the fact that they're leaving the room in just a few minutes makes it really not fucking matter much at all. Yeah, I think that makes... I, I, I think I talked about last week, too. There's definitely something to do with, you know, time being a, a factor in the arithmetic right yeah so yeah something uh like maybe the correct answer is not to assign a lot of meaning to a world that fades away to nothing because that shows that you are stupid and have weird wrong priorities <laughs> uh you're probably right <laughs> okay well uh Scharer, also from the discord because all of these are from the discord says that uh the dm says that he made some mistakes with arthur Maybe one of the mistakes he made is that in not giving Arthur a game layer, the trajectory of the experience for him was from reality toward unreality. 
whereas with June, by giving him a Galen layer from the outset, the trajectory was from unreality toward reality, which I think is an amazing insight. And I had to put it out there because that seems completely correct. And like maybe the DM has fixed a major problem from before because in a, in a world that is like unreal and very visibly unreal, uh, once you know anything about it, starting thinking it's real and then descending into unreality is probably much more deranging than the other way around. When it starts out, you think it's unreal, and then you start to realize that some of the people in here actually do matter. You know that gif of like that guy talking about space or whatever, and he does the with the galaxy overlay? Yeah. That's my brain right now. I like that a lot. It was fantastic. I wonder, you know, like... Also, it and I, I this comes up in the episode we learn uh, like what Arthur's reaction was the minute he arrived, and it wasn't good. You know, neither was June's, but June got an achievement the second that like you know, I guess within like two minutes or something, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, I can I can take a breath. This seems like I you know not everything is right, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that yeah, starting with like, hey, this is clearly a game slash simulation or whatever. That takes a lot of the initial stress off of arrival too yeah yeah no that's awesome i love it as opposed to arthur walking into a room and seeing a slaughtered family and being like oh god i'm throwing up because this feels like complete reality yeah no it's great i will uh i'll keep my eye on that and see what else comes to mind there and finally unentscheiden also on the discord says in response to where i was very frustrated with june not saying to uh uther hey that ring you have on your finger that's you know a real sentient person a sapient person you need to respect her rights and all that other stuff uh yeah why doesn't juniper try to convince uther that bethel is a real person because at this point uther thinks that no one is a real person he thinks juniper is the dm's last attempt to get uther to keep adventuring uh that is that is a really good point like uh, i think that uther is correct about mm, a lot of this, although maybe not the no one is a real person part, but if Juniper, you know, had realized this the same way that Unentscheiden did, uh, then Juniper would have realized he first has to convince Uther that he himself is real and that the world is real and then can move on to Bethel. So maybe that is why uh, June didn't do that. And I was just being dumb and overlooking that and giving June crap for no good reason. I would pull your punch a little bit on, on your self-flagellation there. Like <laughs> I, I think that Uther is acting like things aren't real, but there was still the the kind of open question as to whether or not he thinks the people are real. Um, he certainly seems to think that his wife was real. And he's treating, you know, Raven with respect. Um, mm-hmm. He's, he grew to appreciate that this might actually be June um, mm-hmm. or some, you know, similar enough likeness to uh like be worth being nice to yeah and so like it i think that he doesn't think that everyone's fake um i think that he thinks the world is fake uh which to me is you know i I guess i can see wanting to still get out to real world um especially too he's in a unique circumstance he's not just like he's not just in the matrix and knows it he's the center of the matrix and that's really really annoying um Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that the fact that he's being nice to everybody is pretty solid evidence that he thinks that the people are basically real. Um, I'm still waiting for his reveal. He's, I think he said in the mirror and he's seen here. Or maybe he just said that in the mirror that uh, he used to be you know, caught up in their stories. Now he's not. But I think in this, uh, he had said, 
like I have evidence. I think it was even italicized. And so I, I really need to see that evidence before I'm uh, equipped to, I don't know, call them out in a shit or not. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get on to the shit calling. All right. It'll be a long haul. It will. Uh, that's the name of the chapter. And I think you got something starting right out from the top. Yeah, this was solid. Um, I just like, I, so June nicely puts what I kind of meandered my way to making this kind of articulation, I don't know, over 10 minutes last week. But he says, uh, you might be asking what I expected when I met Uther. Honestly, I'm not sure. Maybe I thought that I would all just end and the dungeon master would pop out from behind a curtain and say, hey, dude, congrats on saving your friend. It's all over. You can do what you want with air. Maybe I thought the credits would roll. Maybe I thought there'd be some reaction from Uther, a tearful reunion, something. I hadn't expected what I got, which is a man who saw us as nothing or as a tactic to bring him back if we were real at all. And I just liked that I was spot on and that the joke of just, I imagine the DM coming out, you know, slow clapping his way behind a curtain. It's like, mm. hey, man, nicely done. Here, let's split a beer. Here's here's Arab. Here's the keys. <laughs> um, right. But anyway, it was, it was close enough to what I'd said that it felt like uh, one could be forgiven for guessing that I'd read ahead. Um, ah. but I actually hadn't. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, I, I know you don't cheat about things. No, but it was, uh, it was vindicating. I like it when, when June and I are vibing super hard. Hell yes. Well, uh, speaking of vibing super hard, uh, Fen is really awesome throughout these chapters and I'm going to have a crush on her again. And one of the first things I'm going to pull out is Fen, uh, saying that she had been prepping to go to earth for ages. Uh, and June says, uh, this is when June reveals that, you know, the non-human species probably won't be able to get to earth because they are going to get some sort of cancer or some magical awfulness that'll kill them before they get there because they're magical creatures. Uh, June points out that when she said prepping, she really meant watching anime. I was pretty sure. And I just thought that was really adorable because she was she really was. This is how she preps to go back to Earth. You know, she was watching all this anime and she was learning this culture and she was getting ready to follow her boo all the way to the to the land of, you know, big goth titties uh, that are 10 percent younger than June is. And she was going to go anyway. And I was, you know, I just I think she's adorable. You know, she says prepping, but she's remarkably underprepared. Well, I mean, she doesn't have papers, but. <laughs> That's what I put down the road. So we'll we'll hit that beat when we get there. But you know, I I just yeah, she's she was trying to get ready to know what the culture is like and be there with June. Like knowing the culture of the place would be pretty important. What if she uh, was stepping into some place that looked like mm, the Road Warrior or some place where uh, if the, your manners have to be spot on or everybody is aghast and June gets kicked out of polite society, you know? Well, and, you know, most of Earth society is arguing about TV and shit, so she's really equipped for that. Right? Yeah. No, she's she's prepping well. She would fit right in. <laughs> uh, June is telling Uther that going up to going up the long stairs is a really dumb way to try to get back to Earth because, as he says, you and I grew up on an Earth where there was no magical items being brought up, being brought up by a secret government organization in the Pacific Northwest. And... I just would like to comment here that June seems pretty sure that he knows all about all the secret government operations in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> I think uh, I think he's making a reasonably priored assumption, right? This is the standard anti-conspiracy theory reasoning. If there's some world-shattering secret that hundreds or thousands of people know about, it wouldn't be a secret for very long. That is true, but he, I still think June is making some 
possibly invalid assumptions, especially seeing that he's been in a world where magic is real. So maybe physics doesn't work quite the way he thought it would. He should have said we grew up on an earth where there were pro- there probably weren't magical items, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, you know, Arthur, don't you think it's weird that we literally never, ever, like, no one took a, a magic artifact and brought it, you know, on TV, you know? And Arthur would probably say something like, no, I don't think that's weird at all. See, I, I would think that's weird if this is, you know, a, an organization, you know, who knows, maybe they've got artifacts that enforce secrecy or some, something, but that's just more epicycles of improbability, right? It- Sure, but it could also be things like they're introduced slowly. Like, what do you think nuclear fission is? That was originally a magic that they brought up out of long stairs, right? Whoa. I mean, <laughs> maybe. But the thing is, like, that has a mundane explanation that muggles can understand. It's not like just a, you know, a sword that can change shape at will. Yeah, the mundane explanation was sh- schlossed in. Before this, atoms were undivis- indivisible. But if, but that's that seems like a step above just having magic trinkets. Right, I, mm, yeah, I don't know. Like, hey, look, we brought up nukes, and this is that don't make sense here. Now physics is different. No, the whole point of magic is that you know, hey, hey, physics, you know, enjoy my middle finger. You know, <laughs> that's true. I don't know. Uh, I I do. What I like about this is that there's this is the vibe of like the Arthur debates we saw in the flashbacks. You know, yeah, and uh, it's it's it nostalgic and, and yeah. Um, he mentioned yeah, they're having all the flashback debates except in real time in front of us now. I know. It's fun and yeah. like melancholy at the same time. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, he mentions that he tried to bring his wife with him the second time he tried to go to Earth and her Entad spider suit stopped working. Yeah. And so, or I mean, at least that's the implication. Um, so he had to turn around and bring her back. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder what his plan was. If they did make it to Earth, I've, like, is she know. just going to live in that, you know, government black site? Because there aren't spider people running around Earth. We, I'm pretty sure one of those would made its TV, right? You know, maybe he was looking to be put in the, the witness relocation program and they could be in a particularly isolated area without a lot of spider. I mean, without a lot of people to re- report on the spider peoples. You would need literally zero chance of, of any people, right? You could live like in a very superstitious place where people see chupacabras and spider women sometimes. And it's just another thing that they bring up at the next time they go drinking. Just legend tells of if you go out, you know, at midnight on a full moon, you see this half woman, half spider running around in the field. Yeah, exactly. Sucking goat blood. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. I can dig it. It could maybe work. Yeah. We we get um, an actual flashback. And... I just like Framer's phrasing. Uh, he says, you went, you went hard on these landings, huh? And uh, Craig has to ask, what does going hard mean in this case? Meaning his, his world building muscle was fully erect. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur, you know, the penis isn't the muscle, right? It's important to me that you know that. <laughs> I love the, the, what is the sense, the word for when a group has good camaraderie together. I guess I love the camaraderie behind these people. Yeah. The sense, shared jokiness. The group rapport, maybe. But there we go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's grand. I mean, June's throbbing creative muscles and classic Raymer and Arthur mm-hmm. just like, it's important to me that you understand this. Like, <laughs> nerds, I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymer, during the same flashback, uh, turns to Arthur and says, hey, what's Latin for stairs? And Arthur says, I got no fucking idea. Why do you think I speak Latin? And like in Raymer's defense, I totally would have thought that 
Arthur speaks Latin too. It, it just seems like the kind of thing that Arthur would do. Uh, in large part because a little bit later in that flashback, Arthur says the not suffix, as in like astronaut, comes from Greek, not Latin. And like, it's because of shit like that, Arthur. That's why people think that you know how to speak Latin. Yeah, that's a compelling point. And this probably isn't the first time he's pulled that kind of knowledge, right? So uh, mm-hmm. it's also kind of funny because Uther now knows every language. That's true. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Um, so let's see this one. What was the point of this flashback? I forgot to remember. Um <laughs> you forgot to remember? Yeah. So, oh, it leads up to the crystal business. Okay. So it's letting us know what's coming up there. Um, how much of this was taken from the Matrix? 5%, but with a more brutalist, imperfect transhumanism. Mm. And uh, so this was uh, like, it. anyway, open quote. We followed him mostly and sat around while he conversed with the crystal people. This kind of thing was Uther's bread and butter. And once upon a time in the campaigns I'd run, it had been Arthur's bread and butter too. And that's just touching. Mm-hmm. You know, he's looking at this guy who, I don't know, probably looks vaguely like his, his friend. And it's just like, oh yeah, this used to be what you did. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, uh, it's, it's still what he does. It's just, he remembers a much younger version of that person. He remembers Arthur doing it for fun, not Uther doing it for real, you know? So there's like yeah. this, this level of like, this used to be like a fun fake game. But that's, I mean, isn't that the entire process of learning? You you do things for fun first, and then you do them for serious. That's what play is. Well, I, I mean, maybe it's like, a, whatever, doing jujitsu practice, and then having to be in constant fights. And it's like, you wouldn't wish that for your friend, even if they're training in jujitsu, right? Well, that's true. Being in constant fights seems like it would be really stressful. But, you know, like playing whacking with a plastic hammer and then eventually uh, growing real up moles. to be <laughs> <laughs> no and eventually growing up to be <laughs> i guess an exterminator but i was gonna say a construction worker or something like that like the, the it always starts with play and you develop the basic skills and move on to more advanced stuff and that that's that's kind of what arthur uther did here right i think it's just tragic because he had to right like it was, I don't know. For me, it's just, yeah. you look back, I and mean, you look at this guy and you're like, oh yeah, this used to be pretend and fun. And like, yes, this isn't like a particularly stressful thing that he's having to do right now, but like this has been, he's had to whatever, make his guess, gaming practice a reality. I guess then the question is, does that mean it's tragic when people grow up? Only when they're forced to, you know, presumably against their will without explanation. Like, I don't think wait, anybody would that's, choose that's to life, grow up. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know. I guess I mean, like, I kind of agree with you because I would really enjoy being a childlike state too often. But I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily counts as tragic that people are forced to grow up. Maybe it does. I don't know. I guess maybe it was just him mentioning Uther and then Arthur, like they're different people because yeah. they kind of are. Like Arthur did yeah. this for pretend when they were, you know, in high school, and Uther does this shit for real. So it feels more like the the sudden discontinuity. It feels like a loss rather than a growing since we didn't have those 40 years in between where we uh we saw the subtle change over time yeah i think so like it just it feels like arthur's been replaced by uther yeah but you're right that's that's life that's how it works to everybody and if we were there for those 40 years it wouldn't feel that way yeah you know this june killed and replaced the june at the start of the story and we're all happy about it right absolutely um yeah i'm gonna go with right i think this june is mostly better he's certainly much less self-hating so that's good yeah he's grown as a person he's less self-hating but also he's uh more in touch with his emotions and stuff like that but the downside is that seems like he has a little less fun 
yeah. Once he's able to relax and have fun again, then he'll be the Uber June. Yeah. So June's thinking, I'd wondered whether following behind him, unable to understand, was how his nights felt, and decided that it probably was. And Uther's not giving me the vibe that he has as much of a team player as June, right? Yeah. That Part of that probably came from the fact that, like, after years and years of leveling up, he was so far ahead of his nights that they were, weren't really peers anymore. Mm-hmm. And stopping for a team meeting every time he needed to make a decision would have been a waste of time. Yeah. And so it's I like, think- look, I really am like a ruler and king now. And it's not like mm-hmm. just because I'm the strongest. I'm actually also the smartest. And, yeah. you know, it, there's no sense in me asking you guys because I can fully anticipate all of your responses. I think that must have really helped lead to his isolation too. Like June always had team members that he needed to rely on and that were about equal to him or, you know, some of them stronger in some ways. And that being forced to work in a team really helps ground you and keep you um, in touch with the rest of reality, I guess, rather than just having unlimited power. I mean, isn't that basically the, the tale of every bad uh, King tyrant, whatever, that they have unlimited power and it fucks them over. Yeah, probably. And also, it's just nice to have friends, you know, even if it makes you like vulnerable or whatever, it's nice to need people, mm-hmm. right? And to be needed mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Like, it, it, I think June actually had real friends, right? Yeah. Uther had soldiers. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, the very next line on that, after uh, whether this is what it was like to for the knights following behind him, uh, June says, then I wondered whether that was how the players had felt at the table. And, well, mostly they had been fucking off or getting in their jokes. So I thought probably not. So, like, what he's saying is it was basically him and Arthur playing these games. And everyone else was just kind of fucking around, having jokes, you know, good times. But it wasn't about them. It was about June and Arthur. And... I thought that was very, again, kind of, uh, I, I'm not sure if the word adorable is right or sweet or I don't want it to sound like it's, you know, childish or whatever, but it's it's touching uh, that these these games were like a date for the two of them, that they they were doing their thing with each other. And, you know, the friends were there to add some whatever additional companionship and, and fun and flavor to it. But, yeah, I think it was mainly like so June and Arthur could hang out, right? Yeah. Um, or maybe there's another way to read this, which is like that the, 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 the other players, like they weren't feeling like they were left behind and whatever, because they were doing their own thing, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the, the knights, Uther's knights, that is like kind of, were just pulled along all the time. Whereas if Raymer wanted to like, I'm going to go kill a muggle to see what the sword does. Like, he's just going to go do it. Right. Right. Um, so it, I think that they, they still, I, I think maybe that's the other way of looking at it is everyone at the table still had their own autonomy. They weren't yeah. like all pulled into Uther's orbit. Right. Yeah. So it would have been quite a bit different. I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 Totally. Then, uh, then his knights. Cause I mean, I guess they still had autonomy, but it's not. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Arthur is a uh, rather June is managing to get, uh, beneath Arthur's rough exterior of keeping you know all of them out uh and uther actually makes a joke he (laughs) says and i'm as sane as they come and i pulled this out because it says he gave fen a grin and maybe it was my imagination but there was a faint flirtatiousness that i didn't like (laughs) and i was just like june june you already swore off a relationship with fen because uh, I guess you're monogamous with Amaryllis or whatever. But if you aren't going to be in a relationship with Fen, 
you don't have any say over who she dates. So, you know, leave it alone. <laughs> I mean, he's explicitly not saying anything. You know, it's true. he's having a feeling and he's keeping it to himself. But Okay, you're right. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't yell at someone for having a feeling. My bad. I think you're just uh you're you're so primed to throw rocks at monogamy whenever you can that uh, <laughs> you you your your arm was warmed up prematurely. But I mean I haven't had a chance to do it in many, many episodes, so That's true. Yeah, it must be just the muscles atrophying, so you gotta flex it when you can. But yeah. uh you know, I think let, let, let's run with that. Say what if he did tell her, you know, in seriousness, you know, I'm not super cool with that grin he just gave you. Then then we could have this conversation for real. But I, I think that there's something about like Look, this 50-year-old godman, uh, I have a lot of complicated feelings about him. You know, you can have to, you, you can mess with whoever you want, but like it's just I can't help my feelings. I'm going to feel weird if you hook up with him, right? Yeah. And and you know, there's there's the the power imbalance, there's the I I mean, I guess the power imbalance is only just I don't know. Like I don't want to cuz then Uther could never be with anybody cuz he's stronger than everybody, but right. it, it is almost also- like Dr. Manhattan level, right? Oh, I wouldn't say it's that far. Dr. Manhattan was literally God. There's more. Okay. So he's, he's 80% there, right? Like, how do you relate to this guy? Um, I mean, do you touch him on the penis? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. I, I, I saved my point. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the power imbalance is generally a, uh, a, a feature for, for most ladies. And, uh, it, it's not like Fen is, it doesn't have power of her own. She does say later <laughs> on, she's probably the person who could, be closest to giving him a fight although i doubt i think she's overselling her abilities i loved that line i pulled that up we'll get to that when we get there too okay um but yeah but yeah and i guess yeah june is he's cool he didn't actually say anything he's doing the right thing so i shouldn't give him any shit and you know also it's totally in character for him to be like having that feeling so i i shouldn't be complaining about it being in the text either because it's just it's good character building i i retract everything i said Fair enough. I mean, I think that if it was literally anyone else, he'd be like, oh, good. I'm glad you found somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, wait, you're going to it's it's Uther slash Arthur, like the guy that uh, this has been, you know, my whole life for like basically two years, you know, since he died in the year I've been on Arab. Right. Yeah. Like of, of everybody, you have to do it with one person. I have lots of complicated feelings about, you know, yeah. it's like, I don't know if this puts too sharp a point on it, but it's like, you know, if you have a friend who you know, whatever you turned down and they're like, cool, I'm going to go fuck your ex-wife then. And you're like, you know, more power to you. Right. But like, wouldn't you just have a little bit of awkward feeling about it? I'd probably have a little bit of awkward feeling about it. I think that's kind of, you know, in this, in this analogy, Arthur's June's ex-wife, you know? Wow. It's a, it's a good point. It's just feelings, you know, intellectually you can be like, of course, do you, but I'm still going to have my feelings about it. And it's his ex-wife who he just saved and yet got spurned by anyway. His life's very weird right now. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> just, just give me a minute, Finn. Come on. You know what he's got to ask himself? He's thinking about his his party member or whatever his uh, yeah the party members um, back in his D and D group and uh, Uther's companions. He's not thinking about his companions, and this is probably how they've been feeling for the last year, right? Minus the last three years, um, like just being pulled along by June's random shit. And so he's like, you know, man, is this all of his companions felt? Wait, is this how my companions felt? <laughs> like now that i am being in the pulled along role this is really weird right yeah <laughs> not sure i like this so much i like being the one in the center of the circle yeah it, that's 
That's true. It's nice that he's finally getting to feel it from his companion side of things. It's some it's perspective. Exactly. My, my initial comment, though, when I pulled out that line, it was just like, ooh, June's jealous of his Uther and his legendary lovemaking prowess. Hell yeah. But I got the impression that Arthur was smiling because every insane person smiles and says, I'm perfectly sane, right? Yeah, yeah. He's making a joke out of it. Yeah. Maybe it's a flirtatious smile, but I just figure he's like, and I'm not, I'm not crazy at all. Like he should have just like twitched and, you know, blinked funny because they're talking about getting the crystal shoved into their faces. Well, he could twitch and blink funny and that would be like, you know, making it more of a, a slapsticky joke, but that would also be far less sexy. Like if he's going to be a little flirtatious, he, flirtatious, he can't twitch and, and look funny. That's a good point. It's not a, like there was a, a joke that I think was high school chem- my high school chemistry teacher. You know, they used to make teeth fillings out of like mercury something something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, yeah, I got a bunch of those. And it didn't seem to affect, affect, affect me at all. And <laughs> it was just like, it, it was funny, but it wasn't yeah. very, you know, sexy, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see the difference. You're right. He's uh he's never not playing his his uh his game. It's it's a good game. Yeah. Probably a fun game. He's had. Well, wait. Was it this? I think it was this one. Or was it last it was, week? Where he uh, says, it was in this this reading. Okay. Yeah. So I'll save that. Yeah. His game is strong. Let's leave it there for now. Okay. Well, they uh, need to get some crystals in their heads and. Uh, Arthur Uther suggests let's just kill some of these people, take their crystals, the the tracking, the elite tracking squads, take their tracking crystals because that'll help us get out of this place, out of the uh, long stairs, and get those implanted. And Raven says we can't just kill these people; they've done nothing wrong. And Uther points out they would track us and attempt to kill us if we left without adding modifications to our brains. And in like my emotions agree with Raven, but it's really hard to disagree with Uther here. It. I'm, Maybe I, this is another one of those places where I got to get over myself because if I'm just going around doing something and it's nothing wrong and someone would kill me for it, then yeah, maybe maybe a little preemptive killing is totally acceptable. I think this is like where uh, I I talk about persuasion like a superpower, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, he's made a perfectly compelling point that is, has, has basically talked us both into preemptively murdering people, right? <laughs> right. And that's not usually where we would be, right? It's just because we've been exposed to this argument. And I think that's, that's I don't know, people, I think, underestimate the power of persuasion. And, you know, he shut Raven down. He's convinced us that he should murder these innocent people because uh, they might not be innocent so soon. Um, mm. It's probably not going to be these ones that are going to kill him, right? Or going to track them. I'd, you know, hard to say, but it sounds like there's more than just, you know, one squad. So, yeah. So, you know, it, they're, they're associated with the band of murderers who will come kill us. Sure. But I don't know something. I, like I think if you, Oh, go ahead. I, I would think like if, if we were Jewish and we were living in Nazi Germany, the fact that a, a Nazi soldier would kill us if he knew that we were Jews Kind of makes me think it'd be okay to kill that Nazi soldier first because I didn't fucking do anything wrong. Sure. I think this this is less cut and dry than that, though. They're like they're passing through these people's territory. And, uh, you know, I guess not. I was going to try to make it convoluted, but that's really not the case. You know, they're on their way off to Earth through a game, you know, like everything's weird. Uh, I mean, what if they wouldn't kill you as long as you cut off two fingers on your hand and then then you're okay to go? Yeah, then they've got the fairies, you know, like. But I know what you mean. No, no, no. But I mean, in our world, that that the, uh, you know, because oh. this is a body modification, right? What if the Nazis wouldn't kill us as long as we cut off two fingers? Yeah, it's, 
it's weird. I don't know. I think for me, and like this, maybe this is what I was thinking about why it was on my mind at the top of the episode with Amaryllis killing her clones, but like I think it's perfectly legitimate and probably prefer preferable to be squigged out by murder, even like yeah. if they're necessary. Yeah. Uh, because most of us aren't soldiers who are going to need to make are going to need to kill people. Uh, you know, maybe we should have our ethics figured out before the Nazis start marching down the street, so like we don't have to whatever him and ha about whether or not to pull the trigger. Um, so maybe there's something to be said about getting all your your ethical ducks in a row well in advance. But like, yeah. I still think I don't know. Like, I don't want to say you should do it and then feel bad about it because if he's right to do it, he shouldn't feel bad about it, right? Yeah, it's the nonchalant way of like, well, I'm going to go kill those guys and steal stuff from their brains. And it's like, well, we can't talk about the fact that you're going to kill these people that, you know, didn't do anything. And he's like, well, they're they're probably going to do something, though. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Let's, I mean, I almost want to say, like, if the Nazis had some genetic modification that they could inject into us, that would make us not Jews anymore. And they would kill us if we didn't take it. Like, I I still think I shouldn't be forced to take the you're not Jewish anymore gene mod. No, totally. You know, and it's weird because my intuition is that like the second these guys came for them, they're totally justified in killing as you know many hundreds of Christian people as they need to. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the preemptive strike that makes me feel weird. Um, and I realize that's just my feelings. They're probably wrong. Like, again, if I was a world creating God robot, then I should have all my stuff in a row. But for the most part, I I. I strongly suspect of all to get my entire life without having to seriously consider a preemptive murder. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it maybe not, maybe, maybe things will change and I'll have to just fall back on my, uh, utilitarian ethics and be like, no, no, of course I got to take these people out. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I can be okay with like, Oh man, you shouldn't just kill people dude. but yeah. I don't know. All right. Let, let's hope we don't have to think about that but uh we might have to think about that because isn't this actually the anti-vax argument that they are being forced to add modifications to their bodies and uh i mean at this point no one's at the you're gonna get tracked and killed if you don't take the vaccine but you might have other sanctions levied against you and i like that i don't know i i saw all you put in the comment was isn't this the anti-vax argument and i didn't quite understand. I was like, only if you think the vaccines have microchips in them that are going to mess with your brain. Right. Um, right, right. But no, that you're right. If, if we're running with like the, no, it's, it's a positive, you know, modification. Um, maybe instead of having the analogy be like they chop off two of your fingers, they're giving you another one. Right. There we go. And it's yeah. like, but I liked having 10 fingers. I don't like, I don't <laughs> want to have 12 or 11. Right. Like whatever you're planning on doing. I like the number I've got just fine. Thank you. Um, maybe I'm a crazy person who worries that the 11th finger is spying on me or something. Right. Yeah, I uh, if I guess to, to any analogy that this might have to the anti-vax argument, I would certainly hope that the uh, that their response isn't the same, right? Well, I don't want to be yes. modified. So if this person's talking about making me get a vaccine, I'm gonna go kill them. Um, yeah, and anyone, and anyone that they're associated with who's in my way. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I, nobody is saying that if you don't get the vaccine, we'll kill you. So I don't think they'd be justified, regardless. But also, if you don't get the vaccine, you're more dangerous to people. You, you might be harming society, literally. So I think there's a sort of a, a trade-off of harms here. Yeah. Well, there's no time to get into that one. I mean, I, I see what you're, what you're getting at, and I've got fun thoughts on that. But I realized as I was thinking of that, it would take me at least five minutes, and that's five minutes I don't want to burn. So 
Okay. But well, I, I like, we I like your headset. A, yeah. Perhaps we will have a special Vax episode someday. I, the, uh, the reason I didn't want to get into it, and I can just tease it, is because I think that there's a really strong analogy with this to pro and anti-abortion groups. Oh, okay. I am really looking forward to our Not Everything is Our Clue Vax and Abortion special episode. <laughs> the one where half the audience gets pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and the other half also gets pissed. Right. No one's happy. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we should we should move on because we don't want that to happen to this audience. We want it to happen to our paying audience only because <laughs> it'll be a special Patreon only episode, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, we will let people know when that's happening in case they want to give us money to get angry. Uh, Amaryllis uh, points out that there's human prisoners on this landing, uh, people that were probably caught while they were doing the dives into the long stairs, and that we should go free them. And Uther sighs and goes, Ugh, a quest. And I totally feel for him here because it seems very suspicious that they're trying to pull him back into the narrative with quests and shit. I mean, yes, and... He's right that it's definitely bait because, of course, it probably has to be. But and I guess the best bait is like actually good, right? Uh, yeah. The best bait. The best bait isn't fake cheese; it's real cheese. Uh, right. But for me, I'm like, dude, you can go. You can put on your necklace and walk in there, and then go talk to these people from Earth. Like that sounds that like sounds a like a hell of a rewarding quest, right? Y- yes. You don't. You don't. Like, go, like you, you said, don't leave and go do a fetch quest for them. You don't. You know. I'll talk, but only if you get me the key that you have to get the three MacGuffins to get behind this door. No, fuck all that. Just talk to me, right? Yeah. I mean, that's still advancing the quest, though, and Uther has sworn off quests. I mean, good luck with that, you know? <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like these people are uh, could be a remarkably important data point that they just neglect. Um, I mean, they, they really could. Like you said, the best quests are ones that are actually important and offer great rewards. Like fleeing Arab through the long stairs to go to earth wow that was a self-chosen quest the last and only one yeah i suppose but he could choose to do this or not i, I don't know i just i i it would have been fun who knows what they would have said um yeah. what year it was I like what it. they're allowed to Stephen talk about is like the temptest tempter yeah it just occurred Stephen. to me that the exclusions must work must also have like carried over to the long stairs right I believe so, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any exclusions that we would know immediately if they didn't. Maybe skin magic. No, no one has any magic tattoos anymore. Um, hmm. But I was just thinking, like, it'd be cool if whatever the exclusions didn't come through here and they could, you know, soul manipulate some of these humans if they were unwilling to just talk, right? June would immediately feel the soul stuff since he said he immediately felt it when it disappeared. That's right. Yeah. And I'm just taking too far. Um, okay. Anyway, the... Uh, Uther saying, like, I'm not saying the premise is thin, but it's clear you're stalling for time, hoping that I'll change my mind about Arab. And you know what? Actually, this is you're, you're making his point w- really well, which is like, no, I'm not getting caught into anything. Fuck you. Um, mm. But Amaryllis says, no, then you misunderstand me. You misunderstand me quite a bit if you think it's clear. Arab is dead and gone. There's only the, the long stairs and Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like that she's telling it like it is and putting her great grandpappy in his place right <laughs> nice oh, if you you're, you misunderstand me a lot if you think this is clear no fuck yeah. Arab. you know i'm not uh, trying to do anything about that there's just this no i, th- I just thought that was solid um mm-hmm. i don't know what she's expecting with uther but uh probably wasn't this maybe it was actually you know she's she's savvy 
I'm sure she this made it most... into her 75 page document about what to expect, right? Yeah. The she's UP... the most narrative focused one. Yeah. Uh, the UPP, the Uther Pendrag plan. Ah, nice. Um, anyway, this was funny. Uh, so I think Uther's off killing those people to steal their brain crystals and like Raven and June are talking about simulations and stuff being real and not and whatever. Um, and I, I, it seems like Raven hasn't seen the matrix, which is weird. I feel like that should be mandatory onboarding material for any new party member. Um, yeah, seriously. But, but he says the only reasons you couldn't replicate a replicate a world in Silicon are technical, economical, and moral. <laughs> and so you're, you, that's funny, right? Those are the only three. Th- yeah. Those are the only three reasons you can't do literally anything, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like it, I can't think of any other thing. It, it's either too hard, it's too expensive, or it's wrong to do it, right? Wow. And it's I, too expensive is kind of like it's too hard. Um, so it's either it's either hard or wrong. Like, <laughs> isn't that every I, you can't do this? I guess the only thing excluded by this is that it is literally impossible based on the laws of physics. That's that's fair. It's not just hard. It's impossible. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, let's I, talk about economic with with impossible. And this, this encompasses every objection possible to literally anything. I mean, it, it sounds like he's just using extra words to say this isn't literally impossible by the physics as we know it. Yeah. No, I can dig but, it. But yeah. Yeah. It, it was a very silly phrasing i like it um yeah because oh you think everything's fake no no no. virtual it's different um but yeah you know (laughs) the only reasons you can't do that is because it would be immoral and practically impossible for all anything that we know right (laughs) um so let's see uther gets back and grack says hey look i can um i can go with you until warding fails and then i'm useless uh, or I can stay here while you go ahead. And June says, you know what? Staying here sounds safe. You know, I, I don't want you to feel bad about it, but you know, how, you know, are you good? And Greg just says, wording is my skill. It's my contribution to the team and my ultimate defense against harm. Without it, the risk that I would die rises dramatically. And that's a solid way of putting it. And uh, I can't disagree, right? Um, yeah. And it's not just that his risk of dying goes up. It does, but also his like his contribution, right? He's not yeah. that good of a fighter compared to the other party members. Without warding, he's kind of dead weight. Just someone that could be taken hostage or killed or something. Yeah. Unless anyone wants a reverse haircut, there's not much he can bring to the team. And <laughs> right. Uh, it's, you know, we're going to be really sad when we don't have those 96 inches of hair that we needed for that one special puzzle. I know. And we're on one hot dog short too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I wonder you know, like it's it's weird because I don't feel bad about him staying here, and yet, like I missed him immediately. It's like I don't know it, this part of me just so uh, June even has like this thing. He says like I'd seen looks passing him and Amaryllis, and didn't snoop. But I wonder if she convinced him to do this, right? She might have, yeah. Like, hey, we need to lose the party members, and this right. would be a good place. Plus, this very compelling argument that you'll be useless if warding disappears and you'll die, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm really frustrated by how often good arguments being right is c- kicking us in the butt here. Yeah, I don't know what to do about that now that I think about it. I mean, sometimes you just got to be like, yeah, I, I guess I guess that is right. Having your mind changed against your will, <laughs> which, you know, that's that's how you get sometimes being dragged, kicking and screaming into being right is the only way to get there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, but still. <laughs> yeah, still don't like it. I'm gonna I, I, shake my fists as the clouds a little bit. But I, I do like that he's, you know, gonna camp out. I wish Bethel had stayed too. I mean, really, the same reasons. Yeah. You know, sure, she's got more entads or whatever, but like, she's not bringing anything to the table. Like, June's with Uther Pendrag. He's never been safer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, sure, we can have this archer and this cunning genius and this angry house with us, but like, really, I just need to stand next to the god guy. I mean, yes, but also. Like, I don't, as we see later on, I don't think Fen could take him. But if everybody was all working together, they might be able to overpower him with their powers combined. Yeah, if he stands st- stock still in, in his underwear and gives them 10 tries, right? <laughs> no, that's that's what it took for, for Fen to barely poke him. But maybe all of them working together, Grack throwing down wards and Bethel doing Bethel things could possibly. I mean, probably, maybe. But Maybe. it's just like he he was only it was only barely grazed when and he is, like I said, standing still in his underwear. Right. Yeah. If he was trying to kill them, they would have all been dead before they could have reacted. But, uh, you know, if they do decide to turn on him, he's made it easier for him because he gives Grack the amulet of non-detection. Which was just awesome. That was huge to give that over. That's a huge boon. Yeah. And it would have been another good reason for Bethel to stay behind because then Grack could just live in her. And she could be as big as she wants. And she'd sure. also be undetectable. I think Bethel is just like really wants to see him leave the long stairs. She seems obsessive determined at this point. Yeah, I think I pulled that out for the last. It's in the last chapter where she she expresses how obsessed she is about it. And it's honestly, if you're feeling sinister, there's a couple ways to read it. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's hold off on that till we get to it. Sounds good. Um, so... June gets the the crystal surgery and it's like those, you know, skeletally pale arms from Ocarina of Time that like come out from underground uh, or the one toilet ghost in a couple of the, or at least in Skyward Sword. Um, toilet ghost? Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look it up. I mean, it is at the very, it's just like these, uh, uh, the thing in the game and these, these arms are like just, it's these weird shaped arms that come out from underground and it just like full speed slams crystals right into a hole that it drills into his head and they fit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, it didn't seem like there'd be enough room in my head for one of them, let alone two, but there were some kind of space shenanigans going on. Pretty and awesome. It is. But if, if magic is going away as they approach earth, like if these space shenanigans stop working, their heads are going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be very satisfying. So maybe we can count on that not happening. But I mean, didn't they say that there were some um, some fire teams that came back with crystals in their heads? I think you're right. Okay, so they, smart. They should be safe. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Cool. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, he's taking some faith in the process working about the crystals getting slammed into his head here, and he says that uh, the, he was taking this on faith the same way I did when the doctor told me to go take some pills. Just like then, it wasn't like I could do any, uh, like I could do my own independent verification. So why worry? And I think this is terrible advice. Uh, I've also followed this advice for a long time, but it turns out there's actually lots you can do. And when it's something really important, like taking heroic responsibility for your own life is a good thing. Uh, Although, you know, come to think of it, it's not like I take the pills to some other place to verify that what's in them is what the pharmacist said was in them. So I guess there's... There's some level of faith and trust that I'm living on, but I have found that there's some levels of trust that is too much, and you should double check anything a doctor 
says or recommends, maybe get a second opinion, but also just look it up on your own too. Yeah. I mean, you can't become a biochemist and understand everything that your pills are doing and stuff too, right? Um, No, but you can Google things. Yeah. And spend not just, you know, like Google something for a couple of minutes, but spend a good several hours looking into stuff and trying to make your own evaluations. I I think you make a a good point. Um, It's, I, I, it's also kind of unfair because like when you're in the process of being in intense pain or being in a disease or something, that is when you're least able to actually do that kind of stuff. And most have to just rely on, on something. Cause this is, this is something that takes mental, mental acuity and effort to do. And which you just can't sometimes, but uh, still it'd be really good if you could maybe, maybe have a, a relative or someone that really cares for you and is willing to do that while you're lying squirming there in pain or whatever. Yeah, you got to do, you know, some level of just trusting people in the process because, you know, like I'm also not a mechanic, but if my mechanic says the car is good, I just believe them, you know, mm. like there's at some point you just got to, you can't be an expert on everything, but you're right when it matters, you can do some homework, but it's, and in general, you know, especially with medicine, it seems like more and more that has to be the case, which is a drag because it gives ammunition to all those morons who think that medicine isn't real, but right. Just because it might be inconvenient to admit it doesn't mean that like, yeah, you know what? Your doctors are all those people who some of them party through college, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and if you feel like you're not getting the treatment that you need, you know, double check your stuff, make sure everything's good. doesn't mean you know more than your doctor because you don't. They know more about medicine than you do, but they, they might not know more about what's going on with you. You know, it's, this is a longer conversation, but it's one that I've just kind of had to, again, it was a very, this was another like forceful kind of kicking and screaming into this because every time I hear those arguments, it's from people who are trying to sell me snake oil. Right. Yeah. And so like, fuck those people and fuck their bad arguments, but Mm -hmm. uh, what can you do? So um, in this case, at least he's also trusting his genius God, man friend who's had the same procedure done. um, And he literally can't do the heroic responsibility thing here. Like learn their language and read their textbooks. Right. He's just got to take Arthur's word for it. Yep. Exactly. And I guess he actually knows, you know, I made these things. This is safe, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. Yeah. So he's in a unique situation, but the rest of us aren't. So, yeah. Uh, he's also in a unique situation, both him and Amaryllis, I guess. So not unique, unique, but very close to unique <laughs> where the tracking doesn't work on either Amaryllis or June at all. Uh, for Amaryllis, it seems that it's because her clones are functionally her. Uh, which is why it doesn't work and just gives him a horrible headache. But it's still a mystery as to why it doesn't work on June. Another Juniper somewhere was the best theory we had, but who, where, and why were all open questions. And I was wondering if you had any guesses. I like how you like innocently ask this, like, hey, did you happen to notice this? And any any guesses? It's probably, you know, random stuff. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm sure it's not a clue. No, of course. I mean, so the... Uh, the obvious conclusion is that June's in two places, right here and in the DM's chair. Hmm. Um, and I think before, uh, like the full context of what of your quote, uh, when they're like, "Hey, it doesn't work on you either." Then, so I had my first thought there. Then the next thing out of Uther's mouth was, "Well, naively, we should expect a second juniper." And he points up, which is pretending the direction that Earth is. Um, and so, like, yeah, that didn't occur to me. But my money's on DM. Of course, if the DM is a god, he could make this kind of tracking not slip up and just have have it work on June, right? Yeah. But he left it in as a clue. He did. So I'm assuming that's what it is. But, you know, it 
could be that June's also on Earth and Arthur's not because he's dead. That is a possibility. Yeah. But I wonder why Arthur isn't saying, well, obviously, because you're the DM too, June. Maybe he doesn't think that the DM could be tracked anyway. I mean, he definitely couldn't be. I don't think, yeah. right? That's that's the other thing that that's like the other main counterpoint against it is like I don't think the DM is anywhere that you can walk to, yeah, uh, or or get to at all. Um, mm. You know, he he enters an avatar into the game when he wants or into the simulation, yeah. But no matter where you run in Skyrim, you can't run out and kick me in the nuts, right? Right. So that's that's just not going to happen. Um, I I guess I'm I'm in a way glad that. Arthur didn't come to that conclusion that the uh, reason it's not working on June is that the, he might also be the DM. Cause then cutting off June's head, would mean that he could track June and go straight to the DM. Right. <laughs> I guess so. It's like, now I'm really going to go show this fucker. I don't think he thinks he can take the DM. Yeah. Since that, the DM is outside of time and space. That would be a long shot for sure. That's a good segue because that's the name of the next chapter. What a coincidence. They start out talking about what the Longstairs campaign was like when June was running it. Keep sending, you know, tons of fire teams down into de- depths, depths, there we go, of the Longstairs. And a lot of soldiers keep dying. And he compares that to the number of people that died in Iraq and Afghanistan and how the U.S. obviously wasn't able to hide those deaths. So uh, June says, I think I had the idea of the Longstairs deaths being hidden by the government as suicide. But that's pretty gross for obvious reasons. And Raven asks, because their families would think they died a dishonorable death. And June says, oh, no, I meant gross from our perspective as people playing the game. It's saying that mental health stuff isn't real, which is the gross part. And I thought this was weird um, because it doesn't say anything like that unless you're crazy. Like it, it, it just seems like that's a super like did, is June super woke because he didn't seem super woke to me before but saying things like if we play a game and one of the conceits of the game is that the reason the veteran suicide rate is so high is because actually the government is sending them down to the long stairs and they're not covering up their deaths like that's not saying mental health stuff isn't real that's just a conceit for a game yeah i that jumped out is discordant with me too and my notes document is giving me the business so it won't let me load it to see what I had to say about that at the time. I think I was just also confused. Like it, you know, it, it's a fact about reality that the military population has a high, uh, a higher than average suicide rate. Right. Yeah. If I'm and making up a story, stuff exists. right. And if I'm yeah. making up a story, like I don't think there's anything wrong with including that and adding some whatever sinister flavor to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I don't quite get what his concern is. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it shrugged. almost sounds like he's he would be scared of getting canceled, but <laughs> Raymer and Craig and Arthur aren't going to cancel him. So what the hell's the problem? Yeah. Um, I figured just it was gross because it's the lazy answer, right? Like, well, what what about all the people that die in there? Isn't that weird? Well, no, the, uh, the military just fakes their deaths. Well, that's like I mean, just a hand wave, right? Uh, that's lazy sure maybe but it's not it's not gross it's just lazy yeah exactly i i so i i don't know what his issue was with it i mean also there's no reason to think that it, if earth is hiding a hellgate and training wizards and shit they might as well be hiding a secret base and cloning facility or whatever right i know right like there's no reason any of these people have social security cards or families 
Yeah. They, they, they are born and bred to go into this, into this tunnel. Um, also, how is that the gross part and not the fact that the U.S. government is secretly murdering lots of its own soldiers to plumb the depths of this tunnel, you know? Yeah. Like sending sending people to their death deaths for what they know is certain death just so you can get a few more data points. That that is not problematic at all. Right. I guess yeah, his his concern here is that it's trivializing uh the like it's making in this hypothetical a trivialization of the uh um real suffering of these people. But it's like, yeah, this is made up shit, dude. Like Yeah. Maybe I think it's June's, you know, sore spot with suicide in particular. But he could have just said that, right? He also He's wasn't like, no, like, I didn't put anything in there about suicide when I was suicidal, you know? He wasn't suicidal, though. Not for the first long stairs and possibly not for the second one either, because it sounds like all that happened after uh, Arthur's death. Yeah, there was there the... Were, unless this this landing was with the third, uh, um, whatever, session. visit, yeah, third session, which it third wasn't because Arthur knew about this stuff and he was there for that flashback. So, yeah, yeah I'm confused. Mm. oh well weirdness let's continue on yeah well uh june mentions that he had shared like it seemed like arthur was kind of like put out that he didn't talk about like his parents and stuff and he's like no you deflected like you always do and you know you never told us about the stuff with your parents and it's like okay man that's you've been keeping that one locked and loaded for 40 years (laughs) like why is that (laughs) but uh he's like no i found people to share it with and who'd you share it with and uh he's like oh tiff and june says yeah and i thought fen was just gonna blab and see if she can aggravate the god man but uh no he he i i don't want to say comes clean it is coming clean we talked about you know he felt bad about doing this right arthur was crushing on her and you know on the on the download june was crushing her boom um (laughs) nice that wasn't even in my notes that was off the cuff wasn't that funny but you know uh, I liked it. I, I'm not. I, I think the fact that it wasn't in your notes made it extra funny for me because I, I didn't, you know, see it. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I'm not playing with a full deck of cards tonight. So if I get any wins, I'm going to count them for myself. Um, but he says no. Uh, oh, do, oh no, Arthur says you got close after my death, and he says what nine months was it? Enough time for you to find solace in each other? Which again, Arthur's taking his death in stride. Stick a pin in that. Um, but. June says, no, it was before you died. We were dating in secret. And it's he says, ah, and a mix of emotions flickered on his face, too confused for June to track. So I wish he would start telling us about whatever, when he, what he last remembered. Is, did he know that he had died, et cetera, et cetera, right? Right. Um, maybe when he confronted Vervain, he told him, right? Told him what? Like, you died when you were 17. You got hit by a car. Oh, uh, yes. Very, very likely now that you mentioned that. It, it could well be, you know, maybe he remembers going into the coma, um, but it's, I don't know. So I at least want him to confirm or, you know, explain, but he's chill enough about the TIFF thing. Um, I like how June says, you know, he says, sorry. And he could feel like that not unwinding in himself because he's been feeling guilty about this since, but, you know, before Arthur died. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know, it was complicated and then it just went really fast and it was really complicated and uh arthur's just like huh you know i was married for a good many years i've had hundreds of lovers but still somehow that stings and first of all this guy fucks (laughs) hundreds (laughs) literally more than 200 hundreds and i I believe it it's just uh 
man, we, we could, we could yes, run the numbers. More than 199. Like, he was there for 40 years. I mean, you know. No, 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 actually, hold on a second. And we know that, like, for his first three years, he was only banging the one chick, right? Yeah. So let's say 37 years, at least 200 <laughs> lovers divided by 37. That is 5.4 lovers per year on average. That sounds less impressive when you put it that way. I mean, it's not. Uh, that's it's not. That's it's not. It's no mean feat. Don't get me wrong, but I'm picturing like two girls a week, right? <laughs> On average, <laughs> I and, if, and like guess. so that, that two months that he spent falling into the the bottomless pit, he had to make up for it with like a giant orgy, right? <laughs> right. It's. I don't know. I, I five point four per year seems like a lot to me. I mean, yeah, no, it is. Don't get me wrong. I just I. This is Uther, right? Yeah. 5.4 you can knock out before breakfast. Um, but <laughs> Or knock up. <laughs> yeah, he's very prolific, those pen drags. Um, anyway, so uh, he says somehow that still stings. And Finn volunteers, maybe because you're a creep. Hmm. And I'm just like, I really hope she doesn't get them all killed. Maybe he'll be merciful and just kill her. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But You think Arthur is a very bloodthirsty person. No, she's just trying to provoke him. <laughs> All right, that's like, true. This is a very big bear that you're just, for whatever reason, poking with a stick. And we really don't have to. But I liked how uh, June looks over at Fenn. He's like, you're the comic relief, obviously. No, no, no. Uther says that. Oh, right. Um, and he says he joked about being a love interest. But there's nothing special to recommend to you in that regard. And uh, June, don't be a dick. And Uther, classic Juniper. What, trying to get you not to be a dick? And that was just a sad lull. You know, the, the first part was funny because it's like, yeah. Oh, you think your love interest? Pff, I've seen hotter, you know. Um, mm. But then the the classic Juniper line was just like, oh, man, that is uh, right right in the feels. Aw. Is it just me? Well, no, I don't think so. I don't know. Like, I, I thought when Uther said you joked about being a love interest, but there's nothing to recommend you in that regard. Like. Jesus, man, that was that was cutting really deep there. So I didn't I didn't have the lol part. The lol was the, you know, don't be a dick. And, you know, what the classic thing is me trying to get you not to be a dick like that. <laughs> okay. that that's the that's the laugh out loud part. And, you know, kind okay, of the thing, I guess so. Despite the fact that, you know, I thought that was mean of him to say that I do have to admit that I think Arthur has a right to be dickish back to Fen when Fen just comes out and calls him a creep for no good reason. So. You know, I mean, they're they're being dicks to each other, but uh, maybe June is right to take the side of his ex-lover, but uh, I, I don't want to be taking sides here. I'm like, yeah, she's a dick. He's a dick. They're all dicks. Let's let's get some dick slapping going on. Or y'all can put your dicks away and we can cooperate, right? Mm, first, they got to measure their dicks. Well, Uther's... Well, I, they do go for a dick measuring contest here in a minute, but... They do, uh, yeah. I, I, I liked how she's like calling him out and like, yeah, you're just like some filthy colonizer and yada, yada. And <laughs> colonizer. Like, that was great. So is this when you pledged your eternal love to Fen because she like, you know, is just yelling shit at this God man, noble, like the, the King of Kings. And she's like, I'm not impressed by you. You little bitch. Uh, Dude, do you not remember when I pledged my eternal love to her back in chapter 12 or something? I can't remember what she did. Or maybe 15. I don't know. I've been pledging my eternal love to her for the whole time because she's Fen. That's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, she, this was cool. She does say something nice about like, you know, June's been, you know, upset about, you know, your death and everything for like a long time. So she like she did throw one true emotion in there. 
Um, <laughs> like colonizer. I, I, that's what I like. <laughs> that's, that's why I wanted to pull this out because he's like colonizer. And she's like, you know, waving a hand, setting up colonies and colonies stuff. stuff. <laughs> and she, she just throws up epithets without knowing what they mean. She's just like, this is just name calling, right? Yeah, yeah. She's like, I know this is an insult where June comes from, so I'm going to use it. Yeah, you racist transphobe. And he's like, what do you mean transphobe? And she's like, I just heard that people don't like being called that. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's it's a slur, right? Exactly. He he doesn't like it. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Quick throwaway. I got to mention they run into another white mouse kind of thing. It's just a book where every other word is the word Walter Mm. and it just ruins books. By yeah. replacing them with the word Walter. <laughs> <laughs> kind of cool. So it's just, uh, you know, more little hazards to be aware of out here. But yeah. I'll let you do some of the driving on this. I took out most of the notes on it, but I'll, I'll set us up. Uh, okay. Fen challenges Uther to a contest. She wants to hit him with an arrow. Um, she's remarkably full of herself. And honestly, I was like five to one against her landing a single hit. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a long shot. I do think that's where the name comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized that was the second long shot joke I made. So that, that one fell short. Like what was the, Oh my God. Like, I don't know. That fell short, like 999 out of the thousand arrows she shot at him. She, sure. She cheated like a cheating cheater. I think she did not cheat. Well, she used the things that she used technique. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here, hold still. I want to try and shoot you 10 times. Yeah, you bet. Okay, well, I didn't. I didn't know you meant you were going to shoot me with one thousand arrows, and you know, it. I don't know. It it struck me as as uh, as cheating, but Arthur didn't take it as cheating. He took it as fair challenge. Yeah, he got to use his magic. Well, he got to use just being a badass. He didn't use like a crazy entad that could multiply his sword a thousand times. Okay, that's fair ish. But he did say ten shots. I know, and- but that's like I, I don't know. To me, that's just. It's, it's disingenuous and like, yeah, I bet I can hit that target over there. And you're like, you're holding a pistol and then you're like, well, hold on. And then you pull out a sniper rifle from your backpack and it's like, well, we, I thought we were talking about the pistol, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, but also like if the target was seven, 800 meters away, then obviously you're not going to hit it. Well, like, if, if you're, you're talking going about against... the best shot in the world, you know, I, if you're going up against Uther, you, you know that you're going to pull out a sniper rifle or something. Fair enough. All right. But yeah, they uh, they do this thing uh, because uh, Uther says, I've never been one to back down from a challenge or a boast. What kind of man would I be if I did? If the elf believes she can hit me with an arrow, let her try. <laughs> and I thought that was um, interesting. I, I think it shows how deeply ingrained the narrative thinking still is in his mind. But I think uh, June mentions that too, right? I think so. But because it, se- it seemed weird to me that a person from our timeline who has seen back to the future would, you know, say that kind of thing. But I guess it, like June says, it must've served him well. and just really gotten into his idea of who he is over the 40 years. I've seen back to the future mm-hmm. on the order of a hundred times. Mm-hmm. What is the reference you're making? What are you chicken? Oh, sure. Sure. I thought it was like the, you know, if she thinks you can hit like the one in a million chance. Not oh, the, yeah, not no, the no, no. yeah, not the chicken stuff. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but that is that is exactly it, right? I think it's that he can't turn down a contest of might, right? Okay, she formally challenged me. I can't turn this down, right? Yeah, but I think that Arthur pre Arab would have been like, nah, whatever, I'm I'm turning this challenge down. I don't gotta prove anything to you. Totally. But 
on the other hand, do you remember how much fun it was when Uther was fighting or when Uther? See, that's easy slip because when June was fighting Onion. Yes. Remember how much fun it was being such a fucking badass? Yes. That's that's what Uther's doing here. Ah, He's just like, you know, okay. I haven't flexed in a while. Let me go ahead and make this hard on myself. <laughs> nice. I, th- I think that he's just, you know, it's it's fun being super, super strong. <laughs> it totally is. <laughs> um, wait, was this before or after the... Uh... Oh, no, this is before they start shooting. So she has this funny line. Um, I thought for sure you'd have adapted something like, I don't know, the Ghibli stuff or Death Note or other normal normie anime. And... He says, I had more of an interest in the Western classics. And she just says, who are you calling a weeb? <laughs> like not. He, and then he laughs. Right. He laughs too. But I just like that. That that was a sort of a non sequitur reply. Mm-hmm. But by him just saying, no, I wasn't into it. She's like, who are you calling a weeb? Like just because she happens to be into it. It was funny. And it was, yeah. it made me laugh. And it made me think that they're definitely going to end up banging it out. Nice. Um, and it's nice to see Arthur laugh. I think this might be the first time he genuinely like cracked up right oh oh yeah you're right like he smiled a few times this might be his first laugh dude fen got him to laugh for the first time she's the comic relief man fen's awesome oh and she's the court jester she's telling it to the king to his face like you were saying is her job yeah yeah okay i can dig it and you know what else is awesome when Fen says, what do I get as if I hit you? She's asking as he walks away, sword in hand, and very clearly staring at his butt. And I didn't pull out all the other instances of her just, you know, being thirsty as hell for Uther. But <laughs> but uh, I love that about Fen. And just, yeah, mad shout outs to her for being awesome. It's funny hearing internet speak in real life. This isn't real life, but I did see it last week. I, we were on a walk and it was like dusk. And this woman comes by and she has an unleashed pit bull. Which is fine because it was a little sweetheart and they usually are, but just like sometimes it makes people nervous when a strange dog with a crazy strong bite jumps up on you. But right. as she's, as this dog is bounding over to us, she's just like, don't, oh, she's such a thought. Don't worry about her. And <laughs> that's the first time I've heard someone use the word thought that wasn't explaining to me what the word thought meant. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's actually an acronym for that hoe over there. Oh, I, yeah. okay. And I hadn't so, heard the acronym thing before. It was so this this woman then like we we're petting the dog and it was great. She's a little sweetheart. And then as she's leaving, she's like, Come on, quit being thirsty. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. That was just funny. I, people don't yeah. usually talk like that. Aw. Then she had to be a very online dog owner. Right. Um, yeah, but uh June, as I was saying earlier, says, Yeah, I can understand why Uther's doing it. He has not given up on the power of narrative, and if someone challenges him, he isn't gonna back down because uh he that's that's not what protagonists do. He June says, I wasn't sure what he thought would happen if he didn't accept Fen's challenge, but perhaps he thought he needed to prove it one way or another. And like honestly, I just I don't even know if he's thinking anything. Like after forty years of living with it, it's probably automatic and subconscious. Like when after 40 years of that that kung fu training, if you just automatically parry if someone throws a swing at you, same kind of thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that he's weighing the pros and cons narratively. I think this is just reflexive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your note says Fen cheats like a filthy cheating cheater. <laughs> cool. So she says, he says you get 10 tries. She takes, you know, 200 or 500 or 1,000. I'm not sure how many, like, we could do the math. I can't remember how many times the arrows replicate, but it was in the book. Someone can you know, around the numbers, but it's, it's only 10 shots. Sure. 
that amounts to being many, many hundreds of arrows. And yes. one of them happens to hit him in the back of the leg. No, it not happens. Not happens, I know. Okay, she snuck okay, it in right. and did it on purpose. Yeah. She, she she buried it in a cloud of thousands of, you know, whatever, hundreds or more of arrows, right? Yeah, which is what you do. So, yeah, I suppose, if you're a cheater. Um, <laughs> to Fen's credit, though, she was surprisingly humble about her victory. Yeah. Right? She's like, oh, yeah. no, if he had been trying, I'd have been dead. Right? right. Which uh, was very unexpected of her. Mm. I thought she was going to be like, I knew it. You, you, you know, you think you're all impressive. I could have done that with one arrow, right? Mm. Um, no, she, well, but, but she was super, I mean, she was worried that he'd retaliate. <laughs> I mean, like, the thing is, she once wanted. her survival instincts were kicking in. <laughs> it's, it's easy to be humble when you have just one in front of everybody. So they all see that you're one. Like, no matter what you say, people are still going to be like, yeah, yeah, you hit him with the arrow. So that's, uh, be as humble as you want, you know? But wouldn't you want to like, just ham it up and gloat? Eh, maybe. Depends. You're like, oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to make that hard, Uther. Man, I, I. The legends clearly were exaggerated in the last 500 years. I mean, I, I wasn't even you, really trying, you know. What have you been like realizing what a tasty hunk of man flesh that Uther is and you want to maybe stay on his good side because uh, maybe then you'll get on his good side, you know? Eh, could be, could be. Um, Amaryllis jumps in and spends their one Uther story on hearing about the one true DM, hallowed be his dice. Yep. And actually not a bad use of the story, honestly. I mean, I guess I could have filled in most of the blanks though about like Vervain, right? It's true, yeah. You know, but wise old wizard, wanted... he was mysterious, and then he confronted him and killed him. Like I would have wanted to know, like, uh, what do you remember about arriving on air? But luckily, he tells like when he about when he arrived, but not like uh, the I don't know. I want to know what he last remembered. Um, yeah. Other, I mean, stuff. Am- Amaryllis is still doing the utilitarian thing, where the thing that's most likely to help them increase their odds of success is knowing more about the DM. So I think this she, is, I think this is religiously motivated too. Probably. Yeah. You know, she, she you said, definitely to always want to know more about your God and savior. Yeah. I've come to accept that the DM does not talk to me. Um, or that the dungeon master doesn't speak to me only to you. And she's like, ah, another of the, the DMs chosen who he's deigned to speak with, you know, mm, mm-hmm. uh, please recite to me his words. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. But Man, so when he first comes to Arab, he was in the woods wearing clothes he'd never known on earth and went down the path, found himself looking at a farmhouse with everyone dead inside. I vomited and then fled. I didn't know what was happening or why. Mm-hmm. And like, that sucks. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he was as looped in at the beginning as June was, which is to say not at all. Yeah. But. And he didn't even have the game layer to make him realize it's, you know, not, not everything. I don't know. I I, st- I, I want to say that it's not real, but I don't actually want to say that because I think it is pretty real. It would have given, given him some level of like some layer of, of protection to hide behind. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. This all felt weird. And the pop-up in my heads up display just said quest accepted vengeance. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it certainly takes a lot of the scare out of this, uh, mm-hmm. but no, he's just some confused lost kid. And sees a bunch of ruined dead people, and he runs yeah. off like it's sad and terrifying. Um, right. And June doesn't like I- interrupt him to ask, you know, what do you remember before that, Arthur? Uh, mm-hmm. Right, right before that, what was the last thing you remember? <laughs> yeah. Just five seconds before that, for God's sake. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, Uther tells him a lot about his time as Arthur on Erb. 
Uh, and he says that, uh, so this is about how he figured out that Vervain was the DM. Uh, he, he met up with the Schloss Volk and realized like how many of his adventures had been directly caused by them, because there's no way that, that whatever the adventure hook was could have existed in the world and not had had major effects on the world beforehand. Uh, so he like took a close look at Vervain and like worked behind his back but he says that uh, he did his de- uh, best to be secretive about it and to continue the narrative as normal. So, like, he's still acting outwardly like a completely normal protagonist. I guess <laughs> completely normal protagonist of an epic fantasy is is not very normal. But, you know, he's doing all the right things. But at the same time, he's trying to see what Vervain is doing, how he plays into things. Like, this is the most epic intrigue fiction Ever, with the amount of subterfuge and and trying to draw conclusions based on limited data, like this would have been amazing, and I really would have loved to read it. But also, it probably would have taken an immense amount of both intellect and huge amounts of work to pull it off. So I don't I don't blame you know anyone for not having written something this intense and in in depth. I mean, we we're, we might be reading something that is you know in that same vein, right? We just don't know, like, it's not the not the first person story of somebody playing five-dimensional chess against God, right? Right. Uh, but it is, you know, admittedly an epic work that takes huge amounts of IQ and effort to realize. Yeah, I'm just thinking that, like, when I put in, like, the two question marks and exclamation point in my comment there, it was like, I was trying to say, well, maybe this is that subterfuge and confusing and we just didn't notice yet, right? Uh, now we would have noticed that would have been the the point of the story right yeah now that you've articulated that more i see what you meant so my oh, okay. my response was off the mark but i should have been should have been more thorough in my comment no no that's i i they're cliff notes uh, okay yeah <laughs> you're good um okay all right so the, so he talks with vervain yeah and uh eventually he you know figures out the stuff that he's something like a dm and confronts him and Uther says, my read on him was that he was something like an addict. He wasn't getting much from it anymore, but letting it all end, giving you a happy ending, wasn't something he was prepared to do, I think. At a guess, anyway, I'm sorry, this isn't Uther saying that, this is June saying that. June is saying uh, that it wasn't something he was prepared to do. At a guess, anyway, based on what he said to me. Uh, he keeps thinking about the kindred spirits phrase and uh, thinks of himself like, going back to the computer, to their old dead wiki, to the old notes, like just reliving all his time with Arthur and uh, what he would do and how he would respond and that he wouldn't let go. Um, and it was it was really sad. Like if the DM really is future June and that this is what happened just with a greater level of technology that future June first simmed Arthur in Arab. I can see how it'd be really, really hard for him to let go of Arthur because that's all he has left now. His friend is dead. His friend has probably been dead for hundreds of years. And now what are you going to do? Walk away from the simulation and just be like, bye, my friend who I knew and who I watched for 40 years in this world. I guess it's time to end this. And it would be like you're dead to me again. That would be awful. And I could see why he would have felt very sad while talking to Uther as Vervain. Yeah. Yeah, his the DM's attitude when he's talking with Uther at the end is consistent with him being like alternate June, right? Mm-hmm. And it sucks because you wouldn't want. Maybe that's why, and that, that would also explain why the DM 
hates June so much because yeah. it's like, oh, you got to have all this character growth and, you know, closure and growing up. And I haven't done any of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, exactly. you know, there's something so contemptible, so weasley about you. You know, it's all fake and posturing bullshit. I know, even though I can read your thoughts, I know it's real. Right. Mm-hmm. No wonder he hates him so much. Um, mm-hmm. That would that explain a lot of stuff. Uh, and June was really full of self-loathing at the beginning of the story. If like DM future June never got over his self-loathing that, you know, that's probably explains a lot too. Kind of makes you wonder what kind of life he had, right? Probably not a very happy life. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got to just think that he, that if the DM's June, it's not hundreds of years in the future, June. Yeah. Like it might be like a year later, you know, Okay. or maybe five seconds later. Maybe that note that he's passing fifth period English said, I think we're in the matrix. Here's the Konami code. And that broke the matrix or something, right? Um, <laughs> it's maybe, but probably unlikely. Probably not. But like, it just strikes me that you, you can't go centuries without something approaching character growth, right? I want to agree with you. I strongly suspect. Like, it happened so can... quickly for this June, right? Granted, things are contrived for it to happen. But this right. June it experienced was... a lifetime of leveling up his... Uh, social skills and his his personality uh in just a year you and know? his companions were literally the aspects of himself that he has to work on but if you knew enough to make that whole thing you would know all that stuff about your actual self you know yeah maybe maybe someone I mean, else there's also it. character regression maybe something happened to him that threw him back into into a funk bad breakup a loved one dying drug addiction yeah maybe just being put in cryostasis or something right yeah. You know, so maybe it is 500 years later, but it's like subjectively a few months or years, you know? Uh, for June? Yeah. yeah. For the DM June, yeah. For the DM June, yeah. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Well, after Uther kills Vervain, things lightened considerably, like an apology expressed without words. But it didn't stop. Uh, this does make me feel a bit better about the DM, that after they had the the discussion and he felt bad and... Uther confronted him with how much this sucks. He lightened up on him a whole lot. I mean, I, I appreciate that because, you know, he didn't like start throwing, you know, more problems at him. Right. Mm-hmm. I was giving you, you know, two major quests a year. Now it's five. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> so he didn't go that route, but it would be nice if he had asked Arthur, like, what would you actually like? Of course, he doesn't have to ask him. He can read yeah. his mind. Right. Yeah. So, you know, maybe this is, this was, maybe this did make him happier for a little while. Yeah. Maybe it was like the only best option available to him without modifying Arthur's thoughts. Right. Or, you know, if what Arthur wanted was to leave air without letting him do that, because looks like he wasn't ready to do that. Or there's just no out, you know? Or like, that. Yeah, yeah, man, you, you exist here and that's it. That's yeah. I can't bring you into the real world because this is a simulation. You know, I, I got to think that if you can make a simulation, you can. Well, I guess it is a further task to bring somebody out of a simulation like into a robot body with like enough fidelity that they would feel comfortable being in the world. Right. Yeah. That doesn't like a different kind of problem, but depends on how far their tech is. Um, maybe, maybe they're working on it and in the next year or two, they'll get something like that. Yeah. Or maybe it's like, you know, fusion. It's always five years out. Right. Uh, hoverboards, man. Um, mm-hmm. I liked that. June was like, that wasn't my experience with him. And he's like, Oh, fine. Go on. Explain him to me then. Um, yeah. And then this one too, it's like, now there's more you should know about him. Um, yeah. And then that leads into your next thing. I just, I liked it a lot. Oh my God. This thing actually only came up, came to me as I was reading this uh, through this thing the second time. 
Uh, but just a little bit earlier, the, the comment I pulled out earlier was uh, uh, June saying that the DM wasn't uh, wasn't letting it end. He wasn't ready to give you a happy ending. Uh, wasn't something he was prepared to do. Uh, and then he June says, uh, the DM said that it was within my power to become God. He said that he wouldn't stop me, that when it was all over, he would fuck off forever and give me his powers. Let me make everything into a heaven for everyone. So I had a thought putting these things together that maybe D- the DM created June not primarily to like have a therapy thing happen and then with the new therapies June to like merge with himself so he can be better. Maybe it's because he wants to get Erb a good ending finally, but he can't give Erb the good ending himself because he's he's separate from it. He doesn't like get it, but he needs to like insert himself into Erb, right? Like he thinks that a June that has gotten therapy and that is much closer to 17-year-old pre-transhumanism June and most importantly has lived inside of Arab and experienced it would be able to actually make Arab into a heaven. That uh, That's why he's put himself in here so that the good ending can finally happen. I mean, I love that. I don't know what to say. It's It's the kind of like, galaxy brain shit that i can totally get behind i'm well i'm just hung up a little bit on on this point though because like i I guess i'm more just thinking about you know let's say sad future alternate june made air for arthur like i can get making it challenging because solving actual challenges is actually fun but hmm. like why give him the whatever kumduna tiff you know why not make one of his companions look like tiff you know, I mean, June, June got Amaryllis. Yeah. You know, maybe he didn't plan it that way. Maybe he just gave him Kumduna and that's how things shook out. Uh, I that, remember that, that Gervain even says like, oh yeah, those drawings. Let's, you know, go ahead and keep that shape. Let's see what he makes of this. Right. Oh yeah. Well, you know, he, he didn't expect her to do that, but then when she did do it, he was like, huh? Okay. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I guess uh, the Vervain seemed kind of sinister when he said that to me though, like mm. this'll fuck with him or this'll be fun. Um, oh, okay, okay. but I don't know it. You also don't have to be a mind reader to know that that might not end well, right? Just have Tiff walk through the door. Yeah. But just maybe like, you're, you're curious, curious, but then you're letting a curiosity over, overcome your like desire to make Arthur happy. Right. Which actually would be consistent with if we're just going to go like full depression, June, it's less about making Arthur happy and more about making himself happy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so I, what, what's the implication of, of your, uh, your previous conjecture. The implication of all this is that June is Jesus, because that's basically the story of why God had to send himself to the earth so that he could understand humans and what it's like to be a sinful mortal. And so DM June created this June, who is also June, <laughs> to come down to Arab and experience life as a sinful mortal on Arab. And uh, then he can understand the beings that inhabit it and properly give them heaven. It's it's awesome. It, it explains why Amaryllis has had this hang up on the Bible. It neatly ties in the going to hell for three days slash three years kind of thing that we had going on. It's, it's neat. It is. I get the same sort of just like, ah, oh, shit kind of feeling because this is more vindication of Amaryllis's Christian flavored faith, right? <laughs> right. But uh, it's not wrong. So I mean, or at the very least, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know if this is the, this is right or if this is how it actually is. But what I can say is that it's a very sound argument. And mm. if it vindicates Amaryllis's position that I don't like, tough shit for me, right? 
<laughs> right, exactly. And ain't nothing wrong with retelling the Jesus story in a really cool, uh, you know, lit RPG online story. No, no, that part's great. It's more just like, you know. You don't want Amaryllis to be right. Right. I don't want Amaryllis's particular interpretation of, of her religious impulse here to be right. Yeah. Just because, you know, I don't, I don't want that to be how it shakes out. But yeah. I mean, for her, not like I think it'd make a bad story. Like, there's a reason that that story is popular. Um, well, that's it's not popular because it's a particularly good story. It's popular for other reasons, but uh, it's the. Um, it, I'm not saying like it would be cheap if that's actually how this shakes out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the last thing that I have uh, kind of touched on this too, last thing from this chapter anyway. Uh, Raven says, you think that this is a way out. And Uther says it plays within the rules of the game. I couldn't be allowed to simply leave. It needed to be a matter of narrative, a story of loss and hardship before I could finally win my prize and be free. But it also works outside the narrative, a break from the false reality of Arab and a rebellion against my captor. Uh, and he's, I think this is really a cool insight because from his point of view, this escape from Arab, it's like it, he can't have an escape from Arab if there isn't a last temptation of Uther, you know? It's a necessary part of the story, and that is a large part of the reason why he's letting them stick around. Because if he wasn't in the desert for 40 days with uh, Satan slash the DM tempting him with things that he actually really wanted, then it wouldn't be a good concluding narrative uh, to to his story. So he's uh, he's playing along with it and getting her done. Having June and company here is vital and necessary for his escape. I can see how it makes sense from his perspective. Um, you know, I didn't read that part of the Bible, which is I, I barely read any of it. What what did the devil tempt Jesus with? What did he actually like? What could he have wanted? Uh, the first thing he tempted him with was some food because he was out in the desert and very hungry. And he said, use your powers as God to turn those rocks into loaves of bread and have some food. And Jesus was like, get the fuck out of here, Satan. But that's uh, not even like a, that's not a corrupting temptation. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> hey, you want to keep wandering, right? You know, you need food and water. <laughs> I I didn't write the story, man. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, and then the the second temptation was throw yourself from this cliff to see if God actually cares enough about you. Then this prophecy being fulfilled that He would get some angels to uh to save you, grab you before you fell and died. And uh, Jesus is like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna test God. Get the fuck out of here, Satan. Also, I'm afraid of heights. Um, <laughs> and that and then the last one I do like ones, that one though because that one is you know go ahead and check and see if you have plot armor right yeah if you actually yeah. believe you're if you believe what you're saying like this doesn't have to be the devil trying to convince him right this could be any you know any just random annoying asshole falling around the, the desert the <laughs> and this is the devil saying that anybody of worth will uh, survive a th trip out a window exactly you know hey if you're yeah. really god's son and he really cares about you and there's really shit going on like a fall could never kill you, right? Prove it. Yeah. You know, put yeah, up or shut yeah. up, dude. Yeah. Right? That's awesome. <laughs> if you're actually important to the storyline, you're not going to die when I toss you out this window. Right. <laughs> Trial by, by what was it? Adversity. Adversity? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then the last one was like, hey, you know, just say I'm cool. Give me, give me a salute or an act of worship or something, and I will let you rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. Like I need your permission, dude. <laughs> yeah. The second one, though, that one was on point. Yeah. All right. Nice try, Satan. Yeah. Not today, Satan. Um, right. We've got a long road to hoe. Chapter 242. Yes. Uh, they are inside a massive uh, maze. 
And it's so big, in fact, that it would take decades to walk it its, in its entirety. And I really loved this uh, chapter area. I wish we had seen a lot more of it because, I mean, I, this this isn't really analysis or anything. Oh, I'm just pulling it out because I'm... The Labyrinth. Yes, the Labyrinth, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, no, leave this in. This is outstanding. Okay. Um, well, what what... Because I, I I remembered what I didn't remember what you're talking about because you read so much more stuff than I did, but I happened to have also read this. Oh, really? The Deathgate cycle? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah Hoplo's okay. the whatever the not. Uh-huh. Uh I forget what the two races of Magi were called, but half of them got fucked and told to go live in this purgatory prison thing labyrinth. And it's yeah. like, oh, it's a trial. You'll when you're when you're better, you'll make it out. But it was really just like some torture chamber. Um, it, apparently it wasn't supposed to be when they first set it up and it got out of control isn't that always how it shakes out <laughs> i guess so i don't know i haven't set up any any purgatory like torture chambers so well then like the the sartans i think were what alfred and the not hoplos um okay like they just got all high and mighty on themselves right um, yeah and then necromancy and all that shit it was great it was fun it um, was really good yeah yeah but I yeah the totally the main forgot thing about was that, that. The, yeah, the labyrinth was a a labyrinth that took not just decades but generations to make it uh, out of, and uh, a lot of a lot of the the people condemned to it just kind of like set up cities and learned to live in it, and that was their their new home realm. And as you can imagine, when people did finally start making it out, they were just very very salty. Yes, <laughs> yeah. They'd, they'd been raised, you know, around the campfires, hiding from monsters, being told about the assholes who put them in here, right? Yep. Yeah. Because, yeah, it wasn't just a labyrinth. It was it was a hellscape. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad uh, I, that I remembered that. Um, there's also three little labyrinths in Breath of the Wild that I was picturing for this, but picturing the Deathgate Cycle one is a lot more fun, yeah. but possibly more niche. Uh, well, definitely. I'm sure there's a lot more people that have played Breath of the Wild than have read those series. But among our listenership, it might be a toss-up. Eh, maybe. Our, our, listenership, our listenership is, you know, sophisticated and cultured. That's right. And well-read. Yeah. Um, which is why and- I, I demonstrate that by not listening to this, right? Uh, so. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I'm imagining that a lot of them are Americans, unlike Fen, who just realized <laughs> that she's not American. <laughs> Which was hilarious, and how can you not love Fen, right? Hammerless, like, wait, just now? Yeah. <laughs> how did this never occur to you before? I mean, Amaryllis's plan is she's not going to make it to Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's not, she's not concerned with it. Arthur, he's just, he feels like it would be narratively unsatisfying if he got there and was just shot at the gate, right? Yeah. But let's be real. If you're uh, the government facility in charge of this hell gate, like... 100% you have orders to shoot anyone that you don't recognize that comes out of it. I would assume so. Or, yeah. yeah At least chemically sedate, like, restrain them, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're getting gassed the second they walk up there because they don't have their passports on them, right? I think that makes the most sense. But Uther says, whatever happens when I get back up there, it's part of the contract of narrative that I be put back into my old life, even if that makes no sense. But, and I mean, he, he's, he, but he's saying he's rebelling against a narrative, right? I think he's he's lived in narrative for 40 years. Like, I think this is a deep, deep part of him on a basic instinctive level. But I, I think and that I think that he's trying to to have it both ways. Like, no, maybe. I'm telling the narrative to go fuck itself by quitting. But also yeah. narratively, I have to get what I want. Right. Which well, is I mean, true. Yeah. But, but, you know, you, you put this way better than I did because you 
read. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he is playing with the uh, within the narrative as as we just said about like how he's working with June and having them around to be his last temptation so that he can get through the narrative cycle, right? And I mean, that's the thing. Like, if he's talking about narrative, he's right. It's it's crazy, and it's some of the, the one of the things that we like laugh at about the old traditional narratives, right? Like all this shit goes down. And then at the very end, it just kind of like goes back to things go back to normal. And it's like, how that, that would never happen. You don't just put down the crown and go back to farming afterwards, you know, but, but it is a trope and like of the old traditional style narratives. And like June can't count on it because June is in this postmodernist narrative that craps on all those things and thinks that they're funny and, good to deconstruct and really dig into but uther is not uther is still always has been in a traditional narrative he's even in a traditional narrative right now as he's being tempted by june before he can escape and i think it's really cool how like his traditional narrative and june's postmodern narrative are intersecting right here and working together in in a single story by being in conflict with each other like this, where June's like, that's ridiculous, this won't happen. And Uther's like, eh, it's totally going to happen. And like every single arc in Worth the Candle has had, you know, some major conflict in it. And the the first ones were purely physical and they started tending towards to, you know, more like mental uh, combats or political combats, uh, even just within yourself, psychological combat. But like this right here this is a struggle of competing narrative types inside of a book this is really fucking cool in my opinion i just put mind blown as if google docs had uh <laughs> an emoji like, yeah emoji shortcuts um yeah i never would have you know been able to put that together but i think you're spot on and it makes sense and i appreciate you <laughs> like explaining it to me like that because it it lands really well you know like it starts out with like easy, fun combat. Let's shoot some slow moving zombies, um, harder combat, some moral dilemmas, social dilemmas. And I was like, all right, where do we go from here? Aha, two different kinds of stories, right? Mm-hmm. And who's really the protagonist here? Well, mm-hmm. both. And so like, as they embody the kind of stories that they are in, they're going to be in, in conflicts to that degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like in in a story about stories, this is the final conclusive arc. That's pretty fucking crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, the downside is that I can't like, because we're reading Worth the Candle, not the tales of Uther Pendrag, right? Yes. If we were reading Uther's book, we would know how this is going to end, right? And then he made Uh, it to Earth and woke up from the coma and lived happily ever after, right? Probably, yeah. That would be my guess. But because we're reading June's book, I have no idea how it's going to end. Oh. Right? Right. It's uh, it's tough. And it, it's funny, you know, I think, was that, I don't know if it was a Yudkowsky quote or if he, if, he, if he came up with it or if it was uh, just something he repeated at some point. But somewhere I read him saying somewhere that uh, reading TV tropes uh, can ruin television for you or ruin yes. fiction, right? Yeah. And ruined isn't quite the right word. Um, it changes I, it. It changes it in kind of maybe an analogous way to like understanding, you know, prisms ruins rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> Which is to say huh. it, it doesn't. But right. But I think the thing is, is like 
you can you can see stuff coming. It's like I'm going through my head now, and like some of the other like traditional, I guess whatever pre postmodern fiction stories, and looking at the main arcs and then the end, and I'm like, oh yeah, they all end like Uther is wanting his to end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's ju- that's just how these things shake out. Like, of course, you get what you want, you know. Yeah, you you didn't expect it would turn out this way, but look, it worked out great for you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or it worked out great for everybody else. You know, sometimes the hero does have to die. Um, right. But it, but then it's, it's a heroic sacrifice. Yeah. It's fairly straightforward, but with June's like, it's a, it's a toss up. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, on the plus side, it means that I have no idea how this is going to end. So I'm still on the edge of my seat. Hell yeah. And bummed. Cause I think we're coming up at the end at some point pretty soon mm-hmm. here. So we're getting close. Yeah. At least we made it to 69 episodes. <laughs> awesome okay so uh this is this is actually something from way back in the long haul the first chapter we read today uh and that i'm pulling up here because it's repeated sort of there's an echo of it again in this chapter uh there was this thing about when they were fighting off the the i think it was the crystal guys maybe it was a guard in the uh, a different landing but uh it was the problem the guards the same problem gets revisited from different angles multiple times to show different facets and aspects until eventually there's nothing left to learn from it nothing to show everything drawn from it and then from this chapter uh june says eventually you run out of things to say and if you keep pushing the cycles beyond that it will be flat and emotionless repeats even if the context is different and i mean it it very much reminded me of the first time that grack busted down a door while they were going up the uh almond's skyscraping tower thing and threw an axe into someone's face and they turned out to be a bad guy, but still, you know, it was a guard thing. And then eventually June gets, just gets to the point where he's like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of tongue flying after me. Uh, I'm invading their airspace, but whatever. I'm going to kill them by the hundreds because I've, I've, you know, th- there was there was still some more to be said then in particular because he started getting names at that point. But eventually you do just run out of things to say. And uh, that was that was Uther's problem with his life. And that is also the problem with the life of the Simpsons, who are now 728 episodes in uh, across 33 seasons. And someone really should put them out of their misery like June does with the tongue. Man, it's weird. I remember like when they're celebrating a 300th episode, mm. like I remember the commercial leading up to it. Like Lisa oh, cool. has one of those like, you know, you click it and the counter goes up by one. Yeah. And it's like, how many crazy things is, is that that your dad's done? Click. Looks like 300. Um, was a joke in that. And that would have been years ago. Huh, weird. Um, so, uh, before I hit on that, the, the TV point in particular, um, it, it does occur to me that you're right. Like the, the moral dilemma of like, Oh, we got to kill people, um, has sort of been kind of just laid down. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, people are going to die, but we've established, we've, we've hit that from all the angles. Right. Yeah. And so now when people have to die in the story, first of all, I think there's been fewer deaths lately, right? Um, for the most part. Yeah. Like those Christmas yeah. people died off camera, but like really since Onion and uh, Hyacinth, I mean, no one runs to mind of like the next moral quandary around death, right? Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I guess sort of blew in the bottle, but that wasn't a moral quandary. It was oh, just yeah. like, yeah, he's an evil dipshit and we're only keeping him alive because it's net good to do so. But that was about the only other angle to take with it, wasn't it? They all went yeah. into like more like like further away uh, abstractions, you know, like the Fuchsia Coterie grunt defeated. 
It's like, oh, good. Yeah. I can kill as many of these guys as I want without feeling the least bit upset about it because they don't even have names, right? Yeah. Um, and then at the very end, killing Parasev, where he was like, he didn't want to do it. It was just ugly butchery, he said, but it had to be done. That's right. I forgot about. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, so anyway, Simpsons was funny because like, I think more to the point of like being put out of the misery, like shows like House, Supernatural, Heroes, uh, Big Bang Theory, you know, I could go on any any list, any show that had like a recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all eventually finally got a mercy flush after spiraling for years, <laughs> right? Nice. Uh, yeah. Supernatural managed to end on a high note, but like really, I think the other ones didn't. Um, okay. I didn't finish Big Bang Theory, but like I'll, I'll, I'm trying to think of. You know, just a lot of shows that went on forever. You finished, you watched all of Buffy. How did that end? Was it, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down on the ending? Uh, thumbs up, I would say. Okay. I also, due to things happening in my life, didn't really see the last season at all. And I went back and saw it afterwards, uh, several years later. So it's hard to say necessarily in context, but I think overall thumbs up. Yeah. That sounds like, you know, stuff must have gotten in the way for you to miss it while it was happening but like having the opportunity to go back years after actually does sound like a rewarding experience on its own yeah it's pretty cool that's that's fun but shows like i think simpsons family guy american dad like those are all non-continuous in a way that anyone can just jump into any episode and basically get the full experience Mm -hmm. and i don't know if it's just me but like i don't feel like they're getting old like I, i don't watch the simpsons um i did when it was good um mm-hmm. but well the thing is it's it's sort of become a parody of itself right like the entirety of the simpsons got flanderized yeah it's also funny that they invented flanderized i mean they didn't invent it but they <laughs> yeah. you know that's the name the trope namer yeah yeah but you know like i i do watch I, I don't know if i'm current on family guy or not but american dad is like one of the funniest shows like cartoons out there it's just it's absurd it's ridiculous the new ones are better than the old ones. Some of them, they're like, sometimes they're vaguely self-aware. Mm. Um, like they once in a while, they, there'll be a line of like, wait, is this the Christmas episode? When is this one coming out? Like they'll, they'll throw a line out like that. Yeah. Family Guy will sometimes just talk straight to the camera. Yeah. Um, so I never watched any American Dad. Does it have something to say or is it just like, you know, gags no. and jokes? Maybe, maybe that's why these shows are more successful. Like after 15 years than Simpsons is because yeah. they're not, they're not making a point. Like, I don't think that you could keep running Rick and Morty for very long. I'm I'm still not sure how they're going to get a full 10 seasons, uh, but maybe, maybe they can pull something off. But at, at some point, you run out of things to say about nihilism, you know? Yeah. And Simpsons is, you know, talking about the modern family, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right, we can only talk about 500 things with that and we're on 700 and change. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think with like... American Dad and Family Guy, like they're, they're mindless shows that aren't telling a thing, right? They're just okay. fucking around, which to me yeah. is just the kind of perfect relaxation nonsense I like putting on in the background. But yeah, uh, I think Futurama had the same kind of thing. Yeah. Just fucking around and having fun. 100%. And for some reason, though, Futurama stopped being funny like the third time it was canceled after they came back again. It like they never came back quite as strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some reason, Maybe they, they lost canceled. the key people. Yeah. You know, they I mean, were. I would imagine after every cancellation, they might have lost one or two key people that made it what it was until eventually it just didn't have didn't have that same talent pushing it anymore. I think that's probably yeah, that's a good point. But I also wonder why that one got canceled and other ones didn't. But eh, TV mysteries. Um, yeah, I think that's all I had to say on that. But I, I do like the thinking about it from the context of this story, looking back at all the trials and kind like you talked about 
I forget when, maybe it was when he became a gold mage and like all of the action was off camera and you're like, yeah, I think we're going to be done watching him fight mm-hmm. for the most part. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, we've seen it. Yeah. What else, what else are we going to get? He also right. won this fight by the skin of his teeth, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, which is, which is true in the story. That's what the story did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think comics, comics are kind of a special case that, that they've survived this long because they have a very specific age range and demographic that they aim to. I mean, it's it's basically all boys in the 12 to 16 age range, basically. And so, like, sometimes a bit longer, but most people age out of comics after a while. And so they've only seen the cycle reset maybe once, maybe twice. And, you know, so so it's okay to keep telling the same story over and over when it's a different audience that keeps getting it all the time. I think myths are is not quite the same case, but like myths change in the telling. They aren't necessarily saying new things, but they're tailored to whoever you're telling it to uh, every time it's told. And then like porn just survives because it's, you know, gratification. It's like, it's like American Dad. It's not saying anything. Kind of makes you wonder if they try to throw some like epic myths into just porn. Hmm. You know, I, I think people you know, fast forward through the epic myth part. But <laughs> the thing is, I think that's not wrong if we take porn as a more broad lens sort of thing. This is like the old dinosaurs and sodomy uh, thing that we talked about <laughs> or or as as June calls it, like the crunch and the fluff. Like if you just have just things that are gratifying, like on a on a um, deep animal level, like explosions and fist fights and cars going zoom and hot ladies and all that, that like that that's interesting that always draws you in people always want to see more of that but it's also really kind of surface and not very fulfilling but then on the other hand if all you get is poets talking about how you know how tortured they are and how much how meaningless life is then that's really boring and no one wants to see that either and like i think just striking a perfect balance between those two is what you need you need to draw people along by the the emotional adrenaline kind of thing but also have like something interesting to say that sticks with them after that rush is over. And like, I, I think the best example of this having been done is the matrix, the original one where they both had some interesting things to say and just amazing ass kicking aesthetics and, uh, and explosions and stuff to, to draw people in. That's a really good example. And, uh, it's, if anyone doesn't know this, you occasionally write essays and, and stuff. And it's very clear, that you're used to articulating your thoughts when you talk, when you, when you talk them out, um, okay. <laughs> because that all made a lot of sense. It, and it circled back and made a point and then landed with a solid example. And, uh, will stick in my brain forever. When I make a point, I invent it on the fly and forget what I was saying when I first started making it. So, um, <laughs> no, that, that's, that's solid. I really like that. And, uh, I, yeah, good observations. And the fun thing about the comics too, cause you're right. You can, tell the same story for decades because people read them for five years and they're like, I'm done with comics. Yeah. And so then if you're like going to go back and read the whole catalog of whatever, every Spider-Man, first of all, you're one in a million people. And second of all, you'll just be like, Oh, I can appreciate how they did it a little differently this time. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? That's awesome. All right. Well, another thing that's awesome is a fucking entire civilization living inside of a maze with no building wider than 20 feet and farms and strips. June's like, how could how could you not be fascinated by this sort of thing? And I just totally agree with him. That is really cool. And I was I had a world building heart on the whole time. It's a really cool setting. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Arthur's past the stage where he'll let himself appreciate any of it, which is why June's hyping it up so much to himself. Um, right. But like they come across like two tribes warring over trees or whatever. And yeah. June's like, do you think you can like stop them without killing them? And Uther just kind of looks and then he runs over there and basically just knocks them all out again, Kenshin style. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it's after this that they're like, all right, you know, we want to go around this town or whatever. And oh yeah, Uther can just fly. <laughs> yeah, he's just like that's just a thing I do. Yeah, you guys can't fly, <laughs> weebs. Uh, I was only walking, so you wouldn't feel bad, right? I mean, I bet it's hard, but the thing is, he doesn't like say how he did it. Mm-hmm. And so, because if he could fly all the time, he'd probably be doing it more often, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's it's just funny because it looks to us like he could, you know, like it's casual magic, right? Yeah, like uh. Voldemort's flying, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, it's actually super mundane and easy by the standards of magic, but because you don't know how I do it, it seems like you know this mysterious, awesome thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. So he takes a minute. June does to talk with Bethel, or she just chimes in. I forget. Um, but uh, he says, like, all right, well, how how are you doing? And she says she's been thinking that I want to come with you. The others are going to be left behind as we ascend. I will lose function. I can already tell that my mind is shutting down piece by piece. While I'm still able to make plans, I want to let you know that I want to go all the way. First of all, she's making an advanced directive, like somebody planning, you know, for going into major surgery or something, right? Yeah. But good for her. Um, But she wants to go all the way. When I'm only an Entad, use me to help you stay alive and see Uther to his destination. And on the one hand, like that's epic, right? Mm-hmm. But it's such a singularly minded focus that it makes me kind of worried that this is like a keep summer safe directive from Uther. Mm. Like, wait, from Uther? Like he he took her for a minute and put her on, right? He could have oh. just he could have said, "Get me out of here," right? Oh. That that is now the most important thing to you in the world. Yeah. Um. That said, that's. That probably is already the most important thing to her, which is like, if he's literally on another like realm of existence, I yeah. couldn't be happier. He's deader yeah. than he'd be if he was in hell. Um, right. Like, so I think that it fits with her stuff really well too. So I don't, I don't know which way to read it. It's probably Bethel. Um, but you know, if, if her, if only her motivations were changed and nothing else, like it would, it would seem like it's coming from her, her mind anyway. Right. Yeah. So that was the, like, I can't remember. I said something I, that I'd get around to talking about this later. And this is, yeah. And this is, the thing. this is the that was, that was a really good insight. That had not occurred to me that that could be what's going on here. Fun thing about Tesla's, uh, you can give them voice commands, like whatever, turn the air conditioning on by pressing a button on the steering wheel. Uh-huh. It has a mode called sentry mode where it'll use some battery life, but to monitor, like if people get really near the car, cause there's cameras all over it, mm-hmm. it'll like, turn the giant screen on it to look like the red eye of Hal from space odyssey. <laughs> cool. And so you can, you can turn that on by going into like the settings on the thing and turning a little toggle, or you can press the steering wheel and say sentry mode or press the steering wheel and say, keep summer safe. And Seriously? Yeah. Oh, neat. There are a handful of stupid things like that in there. And I just fucking love it. I <laughs> Rick and Morty Easter egg in the, in the Tesla. Um, That's Awesome. Did the Tesla, I, this must have been an update because the first Tesla came out before that episode, right? Um, maybe, probably. Maybe, and I don't know. It, it, 
if it's an update, I don't know what year the one I drove was, um, but but I mean they can way, just push out updates to these things too, right? Pretty fucking awesome to use an update push for something like that. I just think it's funny to you know there's there's a psychedelic cowbell mode. Um, you know, I just yeah. like I like that they just had fun with this. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so where were we? So June is talking about his world building and what he likes to do, and uh, w- when he creates the worlds. And he says, it was always about putting as many possible constraints in as I could while keeping it interesting, pushing things until the point where they would almost break, and then pushing them just beyond that so I could see the break happen. And then Uther realizes that that is what was done to him, that he he was the victim of like June's insatiable curiosity of just pushing things right to the edge and then being like, I wonder, I wonder how this breaks, and then seeing it happen. And I think it I think that checks out. Yeah. I mean, what happens when you make a hero keep on heroing way longer than they want to is like kind of a fun question. Mm. Um, but the thing is like that, that is more of like a torture thing and not a fun thing for Arthur, you know, like if you know yeah. you're pushing him too far just to see what will happen, like you you want to push it to the breaking point that he didn't make this as a paradise afterlife for your dead best friend. You did it for a science experiment. I mean, maybe you got wrapped up with it and went beyond what you meant to do. Yeah, it you know that that's distinctly plausible. You know, lost sight of the original goal, um, yeah. especially if it has been like forever, and he's kind of like already lost his mind, right? Yeah. Um, and you've you've already got that personality that makes you susceptible to to getting falling down those rabbit holes and pushing things, and especially like if you were the the person running the simulation, you might think it it doesn't quite feel real to you it's still like are these real people or make-believe people yeah yeah that's a good point i mean i mean you would think that you would at least be convinced that arthur's real yeah i mean maybe you just have still some some doubts enough doubts to push you over into into maybe seeing what would happen but then like you feel bad about pushing him too far yeah exactly and so you're like maybe maybe i should give him a a heaven but i can't do it so so i'll I'll, I'll make me do it yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think this like kind of goes right into the next thing that I pulled out where June is thinking to himself, I'd have never done any of this to Arthur, but if I were playing with paper dolls or writing some bit of world building or something like that, I definitely might have come up with it. Not for real, no, but if my conception of what I was doing was that it didn't actually matter, maybe. This was one of those things, again, where I was like, I think June is doing some kind of motivated thinking because that's literally what he did do. Whenever he was role playing and world building, he's like saying, you know, if I thought it didn't actually matter, maybe I'm like, what do you mean? Maybe you did it. You all did it. Not only that, we all do it. Whenever anyone in our world plays any sort of game, we do this sort of thing when we kill people. Like, what's the maybe there? We're like, it's a video game. It doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want. (laughs) I think there's a couple of ways to read it. One could be that like, He's saying, maybe I actually would fuck with real people mm. if I was convinced it didn't matter, which is to say, like, he's thinking ma- maybe the, you know, reading really between the lines would be like, you know, oh, yeah, I can spin up Matrix simulations full of sapient people, but they don't matter because they're simulations. I could imagine myself believing that. Right? I mean, don't we already believe that the video game characters we kill don't matter because they aren't real? But people? we know that they're not. I don't we don't believe that they're high fidelity or we have any reason to. Right. Yeah. Like, so maybe he thinks that he, he is the kind of person who like 
whatever, no harm, no foul if I turn it off when I'm done, right? Okay. Like I erased the universe, the suffering never took place. Right, uh, yeah. Maybe he's on that side of the argument. Um, yeah. Ultimately, maybe he's just worried that, you know, he's creating worlds by, worlds by accident when he imagines them. Um, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, he's like, well, maybe, yeah. maybe, I, maybe I would have thought about it. But you mentioned, like, is he afraid of thought crime? And I'm like, maybe he's just afraid that if he thinks about it too hard, he'll make another fucking universe with, you know, more torture in it. So, I mean, we simulate our own selves inside our brain. And I hear that some people, like, if they have... If they have like the corpus callosum cut, they can have two people inside their brain, right? I don't know if they talk, um, but I'm not an expert. I know that you can get confusing ways of like where the the the, pay, the subject that's talking to you can recite information that they claim they can't see because you show them like whatever a flashcard that they can only see with their right eye. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we seem to be made up of facets of people and we can simulate ourselves and our friends and strangers, whatever fictional characters. Um, I mean, is it possible for someone to simulate someone in such f- fidelity in their imagination that it's like having another person living in your brain? Um, I think we've talked about this before and I think my position think hasn't have, changed yeah. much, which is that no matter like the, the processing substrate of my brain does not have enough uh, like functional one-to-one how do i make this sound smart is you don't it, got the bandwidth it, it, it isn't functionally isomorphic with meat space enough such that if i imagine you in my mind and punch that that inyash in the face it doesn't actually hurt him right he might right. act like he's in pain but it doesn't actually hurt because he's i'm not operating i can't process that level of it i was thinking more about the along the lines of people who claim to have tulpas alternate personalities that you know they share a, a headspace with they call them what Tulpas, I think that rings a bell. But this is like the headmates thing that I remember hearing about, like yeah. ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those okay. are just imagine. Not to be dismissive, I think I mean, that they the super are majority imaginary those, friends. I think yeah. the super majority of those are people with active imaginations, which is great. And they 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 seem to think that like okay, well, I can I can hear voices of of people in my head. Um, you know, like my favorite TV characters and stuff. And it's like, yeah, we all can do that. Maybe yours are more vivid. Um, maybe some measure of you are actually mentally ill. Um, yeah. but for the most part, no, you're just, you have an active imagination, which is great. And I'm, I'm psychoanalyzing from my armchair. I don't know anything about this. If it's an actual phenomena, I think yeah. this was a lot of like back when, like whatever, right, right, right. When things were getting insane, but before the word woke really took off. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I don't know how much of that was real and how much of that was people pretending like it was real. I mean, I think obviously most of the people out there that are living with systems or whatever are just, you know crazy people and uh living off the attention but i'm i'm wondering if there's a possibility of someone with enough uh intelligence and enough time and effort dedicated to it could you know have another full second simulated personality i don't know or simulate an entire universe in their brain well i mean god could but not a human did you ever play uh link's awakening no that is kind of the premise nice yeah which i don't mind spoiling because the game came out in, i think 1992 so oh, no Jesus. wait a no. link to the past what? came out in 92 yeah i was gonna say it's much later than that well no they just did a re-release on the switch that's like this cute cartoony version but it came out right when game boy color came out so like i think it came out at the cusp because you could play it on either system on the game boy classic or the game boy color because hmm. there were like a couple game- puzzles that they put in that like you could only solve if you could see color <laughs> Oh, interesting. It was yeah, kind I guess of fun. It, 
Okay, yeah, it says it came out in 1993 for the Game Boy, and nice. I never owned a Game Boy, so I suppose that is why. Oh, man. Uh, you should have owned a Game Boy. I didn't have the money to own a Game Boy. Oh, I know, and your parents wouldn't have gotten it for you, but... Yeah, you know, those uh, they didn't have the money to get it for me. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, it it would have been... It probably would have been less productive. <laughs> I mean, I, I was 13. I wasn't all that productive anyway. I learned that uh, the clock on or whatever the 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 hour counter on pokemon blue and red capped out at 255 hours which ah, if you started zero is eight bits and i learned mm-hmm. that and probably played for another 100 hours um because i burned a lot of time in those games and you probably spent those hours more productively than i did <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean i think i mostly spent those hours doing things like reading which i don't know if that's more productive or not everyone acts like it's better for you so i you know they might be onto something I think it's only better for you if you end up doing fiction analysis podcasts in the future. So. And it's only but really you, better for you if you make money doing that. So. Oh, man, I'm totally screwed. Then. If I made more as a Twitch streamer because of my yeah. awesome Pokemon skills, then exactly. Yeah. The the measure of one's worth isn't how many dollars per hour they can earn doing their thing. So, yeah. Um, where were we? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Well, I, my other idea was that maybe this was him, June, specifically hedging his bets. Uh, because he's like facing the idea that maybe what's real can be very hard to determine because i mean that's kind of what uther is is telling him here not directly but like by way of example by looking at what uther's been like june's like well shit i guess guess determining what's real can be really hard to determine so maybe the dm isn't that bad of a guy if he wasn't quite sure if these things were real or not but i the thing i wanted to pull from this is that Maybe this is also applicable to us today in terms of news and social media, because what is real can be very hard for even us to determine right now. And uh, the the news is far less reliable than it has been in a long time, I think. Social media is just full of people saying whatever. So, like, maybe the takeaway should be that we should be more cautious about causing harm. since it's been shown that uh, a lot of things that people think are true are in fact twisted or just straight up false. And uh, we might end up being like the DM where we do a lot of harm just because we thought something that was uh, false is true or vice versa. To hit the first point first, I, you know, the news is unreliable, probably sure, but I don't know if it's much more so than ever. Like I know that like individual networks are probably more polarized than ever or something, but like, just in general, like the news you're getting, yeah. I think more or less probably closely mirrors what's actually happening to some extent. Um, Maybe it's whereas like if it was 1950, than... they could just lie to you and you'd have no way to fact check them. Yeah. So exactly. they're like, Maybe actually, we, even... we just, I'm sure there were newspapers that were published that were like, we discovered a, you know, Japanese plot to overthrow the United States. So we're putting them all in camps mm-hmm. you know? when in fact there was mm-hmm. no plot discovered, but they could just tell people that there was. Yeah. Yeah. Cause no one could go to whatever Reddit and see what, what people are actually saying. Yeah, right. The glut of information might actually make it easier to uh, or might make it harder to just lie to everybody. But also, you know, then you get whatever this fire hose of information where it's impossible to know where to look for facts. Right. Um, So, you know, I'd say play it safe and just like don't cause harm, you know, (laughs) Uh, dude emoji. Um, like almost all of us, almost all of the time, aren't in a position where our being an asshole to a stranger will actually make the world a better place. Yeah. So like, you know, if if you read that, whatever, this celebrity said something mean 
do you go to Twitter and DM them with pictures of their kids going to school and threaten them or, you know, just right. call them a piece of shit on whatever in on insert social media platform and tag them in it? Like, no, yeah. just how about you just don't do that? Because and even more specifically, if you like hear someone at your job or at your school did something, maybe don't immediately be like, oh, my God, this person did this thing. Aren't they horrible? Because, uh, you know, entirely possible, not true. Or maybe you just heard the wrong name. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, verify stuff if you can. And when, you know, when it's local, you can it's easier for you to check stuff, you know. Um, but if if I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good example, um, like the uh like the jk rowling thing right mm. i think half the half the population who knows her name believes that she like hates trans people or something yes when i think all, i think all, i think all she did was express possibly legitimate we're not here to debate that concern about like the physical security of women's bathrooms right and so uh that that is a different claim that that's different that's a different kind of thing than her being yeah. like an active turf, right? Right. And so I just think when in doubt, just let's not. Plus, you know, it's not even just about like not being an asshole to people. You can just like not get mad at stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, Wait. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, if I don't know, I can't think of an example right off, but it's like, oh, this, this actor, they did this thing. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Who cares? Um, I mean, specifically, I remember a few years ago uh, in some, I don't remember where it was. Uh, it, it was, I think, a South American country. Uh, there there went on um, their equivalent of Facebook, or maybe it was Facebook itself, but some social media service in this town. Uh, someone mentioned that this uh, particular father and son uh were responsible for the children that had gone missing lately because they apparently had a uh, a child or two gone missing. And then uh, that that spread really quickly and the townspeople were like, oh my God, you are these pedophile murderers. They pulled them out of their house. They lynched them uh, at, the, at the town church, actually. And then uh, it turned out later that not only were they completely innocent, but there had never been any missing children at all. Uh, so... That's the kind of shit that, you know, I sometimes worry about that what can be common public knowledge of something that's completely true and this horrible injustice that might be righted because there's literally lives at stake of of people who are innocent and need to be protected. And it turns out none of it was ever true at all. And uh, I, I believe the person responsible for that particular rumor getting started fled the town. And I don't know what happened after that because I didn't follow the story. But like, Jesus, man. Well, the the lesson we can all take from that to our real lives is before you join a lynch mob, do your own independent verification, right? <laughs> I would hope that is the what we could learn from it, but it doesn't seem like anybody has learned that. Although like, there's been less like actual minimum lynching. we can we should do before joining a mob to go burn someone's house down, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I call me an asshole or or lazy if you want, but I'm not burning someone's house down until I'm damn sure they did something, right? Very lazy of you. How could I? Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is good. Speaking of lazy, Fen mm. thinks she might be the next one out. Mm. She says, "I feel like I, I feel like I need to stay though." Uther looks like he's ready to kill someone, and I'm the only one of us strong enough to beat him. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. This is the only. This is the kind of humility I expected after she got him with an arrow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like th this is. Uh, 
and it was it was hilarious because I feel like he could beat her with his eyes closed. Um, mm. But that's not the point. Like she knows she's being funny. Yeah. But it was just it was great. Uh, this was. Um, oh yeah, because he looked like he started to kill somebody when it, it, he he understood. He's like, that's the piece that was missing. You know, pushing things till they break. Like he looks at June, like as June puts it, like he's about five seconds from cutting his head off. Mm-hmm. There was a full boiling, barely contained rage in him, all directed at me, and uh, that was terrifying for a minute. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm fucking glad that didn't happen. So uh, yeah, just had to get that out there. And Uther was mature enough to be like, "Well, this isn't going to change anything, and it'll mean I don't get my narrative because I." I, my narrative ending because I got the bad ending instead. I didn't do the thing a hero does. Well, and I, I think that, you know, once you take a breath, you realize like, okay, if it was Juniper, it wasn't this one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'd be punishing the wrong person anyway. Yeah. Like, okay. It's probably a version of you. It sort of seems like it, but it's not this, you know, I say small scared kid, but like, that's the opposite of what June looks like now. But uh, compared to Uther, everyone looks like that. Uther's 40 feet tall, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, he, I, I'm glad he was able to get ahead of himself and say, okay, yeah, cutting this kid's head off won't, won't solve the problem. Plus, this is Juniper, the one like I don't hate, you know? Yeah. 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 So yeah, Finn, Finn is uh, going to be bowing out and she says that, you know, I would have... I would have liked to see Earth. Maybe once you're a god, you can uh, make Earth for me or let me go to Earth. And June says, I wouldn't recreate people from Earth. So you'd have a bunch of actors. And uh, and he Earth, uh, Finn's like, Earth enthusiasts acting out of play? And June says, eh, maybe non-sentient processes. Which, first of all, June, we, we were just talking about how maybe non-sentient processes might actually be sentient processes. And you got to be careful with this shit. Uh, but... Um, I, the more the thing I was actually focusing on here was that like that's that's not Earth at all. That's a Disneyland of Earth. <laughs> Finn's never going to get an Earth if that's what he gets. If that's what he makes for her, you know. That's true. I mean, if they're sufficiently sophisticated, non sentient processes, you know, like the Matrix, but they're all pea zombies. Um, for me, I'm more just like, dude, don't don't say that. Don't think that. <laughs> This is like the sort of like thought crime you should be careful of. Like, don't get the DM any ideas. Like, if, if you're if you're prepared to make pea zombies, then we have to worry about everyone being a pea zombie, except probably you and probably Arthur, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, don't don't say you're on board with doing that. Yeah, because otherwise and, you might be on board with doing that, and that that might be what's happening. And that I'm assuming would be bad because then like Uther would have been right about nothing being real in the first place. Yeah, and you know, I mean, there like this. Maybe there'll be some fun final talk after we get some fucking answers from Uther about what his evidence is, about what real means. But like, you know, if if we learn that Amaryllis is, is a pea zombie, that there's no lights on, she just made noises, you know, like that said, I love you or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Were June's feelings any less real? Like, no. Yeah. You know, it it's like if you have a dream, you know? Right. I had a dream like last year that I casually met Barack Obama. Like he's at a party or something mm-hmm. and like I didn't really meet him, but I had the real experience of, of meeting him in a dream. Right. Yeah. As long as I know that that wasn't real, like that the, the experience of it was, um, huh. but it, it doesn't like, I wouldn't want to, uh, wouldn't want to like make a lot of life choices based on something like that, you know? Yeah. And if I felt well, like I had character done. growth, I'd want to like carefully analyze that because like, okay, now I'm generalizing from fictional evidence. Right. Yeah. Still, I don't think 
I don't think that an Earth without any sentience or with only actors is an Earth at all. That's that's not what you want when you say, you know, no, no one says, I want to go visit the Eiffel Tower and then goes to that bullshit attraction in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, anyways, uh, Fen asks that uh, if she can go sleep with Uther. And uh, June is like, uh, yeah, okay, I guess. And Fen's like, ah, oh, damn it. I kind of wanted you to be jealous. And June says, that would be pretty toxic of me. And I have to give June a massive cheer right here because, you know, he 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 did the thing that I complained way back at the beginning of the the episode about uh, she's you know she's not your property you guys aren't even dating you you aren't allowed to do that and he's like yeah no I have I have no right to do anything like that you can do whatever you want and uh, I thought that was really awesome of him and I was kind of disappointed in Fen because what do you mean you wanted him to be jealous you're not you're not even seeing each other anymore but you know but she is awesome so just imperfect but awesome. This is the same one that was mad when he was married to Amaryllis, you know? Mm-hmm. Granted, she'd been dead for like a few minutes from her <laughs> right. point of view, right? Yeah. So it's like, oh, you moved right in with her. Okay. It's like, no, actually, it <laughs> took months, but, you know, yeah. didn't seem like it. So I get that. But, you know, and and I think there's something, whatever, flattering for someone to be like, hey, you know, fuck that person. I want you to myself, right? Yeah. Um, so like, I, I get where she's coming from. My okay. gripe is that Uther's a touchy example. It should be literally anyone else, but there isn't anyone else, so she's using him. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. In line with what you said, Fen says, I she, I like how <laughs> how introspective and aware of her own emotions and processes she is here. That like, like she's introspective, and I really like that. Uh, anyway, she says, I wanted you to put yourself between us and shout, no, that's my Fen, and I still care about her. And I thought that was really sweet because, you know, it is really sweet that that your emotions are still doing that, even if you know that it's it's dumb and you shouldn't do that. It's it's kind of adorable. That's my yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get where she's coming from. And the, and the word choice is, is deliberate, right? Yes. Um, I thought you're, you know, we can't pull out this whole exchange. So I get why you paraphrased. But I wanted to just grab this other line where he says, like, I'm weirded out. She's like, you're not jealous. He's like, I'm weirded out. But. I've tried to reorient how I think about sex and, you know, if there's any jealousy, I'd be over it in a heartbeat. Um, Like that's a, that's a big level up. Um, It is. And uh, uh, anyway, so then he, he decides to give Val or Val um, uh, Fen what she wants. Right. Mm. Yes. He kind of stands up straight, squares his shoulders and then delivers the line. Right. If you sleep with Uther, I'll kill him. Then you, then myself. (laughs) I thought that was an absolutely wonderful way to shut her down because she was, you know, kind of being th- th- that was literally the opposite of what she wanted. Right. What what you want when you're a hot girl is for the, the two highest status guys in the room to fight over you. And then whichever one wins, then gets you as the prize because he's the, the better of the two males. Right. That, that's like the deep instinctual thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, you know what? I'm going to kill him. But then I'm also going to kill you and me. <laughs> it's like, that just shuts that whole fantasy down real hard, real fast. He's just like, I care so much. I'm going to, I'll, I'll kill everybody. Um, yes. Like, yeah. So he, he's like, all right, you want, you want me to be jealous? Let me turn this up to 11 and shut this down. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, way too far, but I appreciate the effort. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you, tell me if you think she's joking. He asks what the two of them were talking about. And she says, flesh.txt. Um <laughs> I I don't even know. I would entirely believe that it's true, but it I guess it probably isn't. 
you but know, maybe it is. I don't know with Fen. Yeah, she's impossible. And I was going to say like how embarrassing for June, but now that I think about it, they they know Uther's well, presumably, hopefully, his deepest, darkest sexual secret, right? Hopefully, there's Uther's- nothing. Yeah, he. Oh, he, oh, you mean with the the Bethel thing? Right. Yeah. So hopefully that's the worst thing he did with his dick. Um, <laughs> right. If the worst thing June did with his was write some really gross fan fiction or something, then like you know, if Uther's aware of that, at least at least June can say, yeah, at least I didn't fuck my vacuum, you know. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they they get a shortcut out of the labyrinth because uh, Uther brought in some void crystals on one of his trips in. And uh, and carved through his way through several walls. Uh, he June is like, but they need an electric charge. And there's like, yeah, Leyden jars. Uh, he, he brought in, you know, very crude electric electricity creating things and uh, used charge the crystals with that. This I had completely forgotten that Uther tunneled through the walls and did it using void crystals and did it using Leyden jars. Uh, and so, like, when the light bulb appeared a few chapters ago, and they shot it, and June's like, how the fuck did this happen? The light bulbs were, there was no electricity in the setting that Longstairs was was built on. I was like, um, well, okay, you know, whatever, it's Longstairs, random room, random, random door, uh, random thing you run into. And so when you brought it up, I was like, I mean, I guess it's just a random thing. This is probably one of those things that's not a clue, but I'm not going to say anything because I, I like, you know, I like Stephen doing this and reading into things and it has borne a lot of fruit. But then I read this again and I was like, oh, oh, the, it was told the light bulb was totally a clue. <laughs> it was setting up the thing where Arthur in the past had brought in things that made electricity and someone in the long stairs had found it and made something out of it. And that's why we got the big light bulb. It was Awesome. Uh, you you have located a clue, and I forgot about it. Well, I mean, I I know that I'm I'm right 100 percent of the time. I said things were clues, but <laughs> yes. uh, I I don't I didn't actually make this connection because I don't know what a laden jar is. Like I I got that it was his electrical conduit thing, but that must be a D and D thing. I believe laden jars are the things like Ben Franklin had, where you spin what um you rub glass with wool and charge it up in in these jars. Oh. Okay, that rings a bell. Um, let me, uh, I'll Google that later. I just, when I tried to define laden, it didn't come up, but I bet if I Google it, that, because that does, so, all right, I've already talked about it for too long. Oh, yeah, laden jar, discovered by a cleric in 1745. Um, pieces of amber could attract light weak particles after being rubbed. Yeah, it, it was basically the very beginnings of uh, how electricity was discovered and fucked with and charged, not charged, stored. Harnessing the power of light. That's pretty dope. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well. All right. Let's see. I had one last thing before we jump to the last line here, which was, uh, like I forget the setup, but there was you know Uther's slash Arthur is pissed about June's obsession with like breaking worlds and stuff. Mm-hmm. And June's thinking, well, as a hobby, it didn't seem much different from say a love of Sudoku puzzles or a book series no one was in, no one else was interested in, or some kind of sport. World building seemed to me inoffensive and a little bit boring as a hobby, at least from an outside perspective. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the whole context, but I, I remember thinking, because I wrote it down, uh, that Arthur didn't get an outside perspective, right? When, um, uh, like June's obsession with world building. I mean, he was outside of June, right? Well, until he spent 40 years on Arab. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But but even then, like when they were in, in school, June didn't really participate in other activities. Like I remember he went to like that law lawyer, whatever club with Arthur and wasn't participating because he was doodling stuff for uh, 
you know, D and D. So even like when they were trying to do other stuff, he was doing this, but, but I think I, that's what he means by an outside perspective, that it was just someone from the outside looking at June doodling and always doing that and not being in the rest of the world. And he's like, yeah, it's a little boring, but inoffensive ultimately. Yeah. I think there might've been something about like some, something I'm assuming made that have more context at the time, but I didn't grab the whole quote, but the, I think the main thing is that like, yeah, sure. From an outside perspective, but if Arthur's acting a little touchy on it, it's because he didn't get an outside perspective. He got 40 years here being the star yeah. role in a production that he didn't get to opt out of. Um, yeah. And it probably got super offensive to him when his wife got cut in half. Like, <laughs> it always he, tends to piss me off too. Yeah. If he's not nonchalant about this, then, uh, you know, I, I can understand why. Um, huh. You know, both June and actually was June ever married to Finn? Because uh, no. he wasn't married to her, but both June and Uther had their loved one cut in half. Yeah, I think that wasn't lost on us when it happened. Mm. Uh, and it was, uh, I can't remember if we learned about Arthur's wife before or after that, but it was like, oh, that happened to Fen too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, there was uh, one last line. Uh, that was Uther on the other end, with our lives in his hand, made the whole thing more nerve-wracking. Oh, when they're flying in the glove. Mm-hmm. which was just kind of like a funny callback because it's like, Oh, we're doing this. Like we did way early in the story. Um, yeah. Uh, and June says, I didn't think he was insane per se, but he was operating under a model of the world that could give wild results to inputs. <laughs> yes. That's a great way of phrasing that. I think that's a very nice way of saying insane. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a nice way of saying weird, but if like they're unpredictable outputs, then, you know, that, that might be the definition of insane, right? Yeah. But I, I just like that because he's like, well, he's not insane, but he's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that a- they're, they're, he's operating in a model of the world that gives wild results to outputs. But once you understand where he's coming from, they're very predictable results. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe he meant he's not insane as in he doesn't have mental derangements that, you know, things wrong with his actual brain. What he has is a model of the world, which is extreme. And also, you know, not necessarily wrong. Yeah, it's not paranoia if they really are out to get you. Yeah. I mean, it's not, he's not being crazy if the world actually is fucking nuts and focused on him. So, yeah. All right. Uh, so the last thing that I have here near the bottom is they're worried about the void stuff. And Amaryllis says, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. This will all be over before any of that would be relevant. And yeah. I guess that is, I, I think I said this up earlier too, but this is one of the advantages of living in the end times. Nothing really matters aside from this one last final goal. And you can stop saving for retirement. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, don't, don't worry about making your mortgage payment. Uh, like, it's like, the, <laughs> it's like people on death row making that joke, you know, when they're having a cigarette. Yeah. These things will kill you. Right. I, I, I always wonder, you know, like when people have, in the end of the world, you know, like every few years, there's a new one, right? The Mayan calendar, Y2K, whatever. Mm. Like, I know some people did make money. Uh, I wouldn't even say conning these people, but mm, selling them insurance, you know? Selling what kind of end of the world insurance? Or just like, hey, you know, I'll buy your house effective two days after, you know, January 2nd, 2020, or 2000. Uh, oh, for, I see. And I'll give you... Fifty thousand dollars now, even though the house is worth two hundred thousand, but it's like, yeah, I could use some cash, right? Yeah. So and it's not going to matter after that. So exactly, yeah. I'm sure some people made some money doing that. Um, it's possible. I hopefully not for something as big as a house because that would require a contract, and that would probably be an unconscionable contract and thrown out. Uh, I mean, 
They both signed it. I don't know. They, there's there's clauses about if something is totally unconscionable. I mean, but it's, you know, it is up to the courts. And I think Wes recently said that he doesn't think they're enforced nearly as much as they should be. But technically, uh, there are some contracts that are thrown out just because, like, no, you can't do that. That That is beyond the realm of what's conscionable to have, have a contract about. I mean, is charging somebody, like, 20 bucks a month for Rapture, uh, I'll take care of your pet services, is that unconscionable? I don't know. Like at what uh, at what number does it become unconscionable? This might be me right. like making probably a, uh, probably twenty bucks would be fine. I'm sure there's lots of scams that people just let go under the radar because they're so small. I, you know, I I don't want to like talk myself into the uh, like weak version of libertarianism, but uh, <laughs> I mean we we I let see people it have, over the horizon. Yeah, we let people take out those um, warranties from Best Buy on the computers they buy, right? right. <laughs> The ones that don't cover anything. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. Well, my last thought for this week is just like I'm I'm on a toss up. That's where I wrote in my last notes was like I I feel like June equals the DM is like it's like this book's Voldemort is Quirrell, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I second guessed myself the entire book because I didn't want it to be true. This one I'm not really motivated because I don't care about the DM. Like I don't want him to not to be June, for example. But right. like I'm wondering if I'm second guessing myself or if I'm third guessing myself and I shouldn't be right. Yeah. Like, so the thing is like Alexander read methods rationality. If he's, if he's doing like a, I'm going to fuck with them and making them guess wrong. He's aware of how that works. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's probably June, but it could very easily not be because yeah. all the evidence says that it is right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, we'll see. All right. We'll get, maybe we'll, we'll get some answers in the next three chapters. Maybe we will. Our next three chapters are 243 through 245. And those are 243, Long Memory, 244, Long Pig, and 245, Long Live the King. Huh. So, Long Pig is the cannibal term for people meat. Yes. Um, Long Live the King. Uh, That better not be what it sounds like. Like Scar throwing Mufasa into that canyon. Mm, okay i swear to god if if arthur dies this quickly i'm gonna be pretty upset um if he dies at all i'll be upset but if he dies this quickly i'm gonna be mad right but you know i guess i'll just rush through the the end of that chapter and then see for six days while i have to wait to talk about it so (laughs) well you may not want to do that uh if if i if i'm left suffering that's just you know that's just uh delightful for you isn't it so don't worry about it all right. Well, uh, we should tell the people that uh, they can give us money if they would like to do that thing, because we do actually still have to pay some bills. And it is the non-simulated world we live in. So we have a Patreon if you'd like to give us a few bucks. Uh, we do give 15% over to Alexander Wales. He also has a Patreon, which we also link in our show notes. And of course, you should buy his books because they are available places where you can buy them. And we have links to them. I think I might make it through the entire podcast without one person pinging me on Discord. And be like, I'll take a book. That may be the case. I'll be disappointed if that happens, people. Maybe they've all bought the book already for themselves and they don't want to impose upon you. That's entirely plausible. If that's the case, that's great. Um, but if not, you know, hit me up. And some of them may just not be on Discord and be like, you know, you keep talking about this Discord thing, but I ain't never going to get it. So, well, we'll have to see how it shakes out. Yeah. Um, I got distracted because I'm thinking about the next three chapters. So the only one hmm. way to get there, which is to give Alexander Wales a huge high five. Thanks for letting us hang out with Uther and June and getting all this fun stress. Hope it's, uh, I'm looking forward to the, you know, in a bittersweet way, the payoff and seeing all of this shakes out. So, uh, 
Great. All right. See y'all back here in a week. Cool. Bye, everybody. Alrighty, well, before we go into the less nice parts of well then the, the pints are nice too. Okay. Before we go <laughs> let me let me start this all over. We've been fucking everything. Hey, Enosh, this is Steven. <laughs> <laughs>